You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Out by 16 or dead in the scene or together forever. United against life as we know it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Grab your fedoras. We are going noir mode. Join that sleaze. Come on now. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been, we are in our, I can't even keep track. We are in our (laughs) fourth year, fifth year? I don't remember. We have like a hundred plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films. We actually just did one on uh, the new Matrix film. A lot of the legacy sequels, the new Scream, new Texas Chainsaw. (laughs) Uh, And there's some some new uh, stuff on the way to look forward to. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you haven't made the jump yet, we'd recommend doing that. And speaking of which, we did have quite a few people make the jump this week. So we're going to give them their shout outs. We have had uh, Sage Ann Solberg, we had uh, Jeff, we had Graham Linton, uh, we had Fergus Maxwell, we had John O'Shea, uh, we had Oatmeal, just Oatmeal, <laughs> uh, we had uh, Matt Blount, uh, we had Oliver Bowes, who upgraded from $5 a month to actually the $10 a month uh, rate nice. for the year. A whole year of $10 a month. Uh, And he's going to be joining us for the uh, virtual monthly screening that we do the last Thursday of every month. We watch a movie live with our $10 patrons. And the last one we did was really fun. Uh, Siege. (laughs) It was like a a Nova Scotia version of uh, (laughs) Assault on Precinct 13 or something. It was a blast. Uh, And we also had uh, CWW, who also actually made the upgrade at the same time uh, for $10 for the year. We had Henrik uh, Panainen, who signed up for $10 a month. Wow, we had a lot of people signing up for the virtual screening this month. Um, We also had uh, Andrew Bistrom sign up, uh, witty username, uh, (laughs) Jared Walker, and Will Bush. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you're enjoying those um, bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Uh, the other plug for the week, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I see the stats, I, I know that you are. I see you right now listening. Uh, scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us climb the ranks at iTunes and find new listeners. And the very last plug for the week, as always, is merch. If you like the uh, poster art that local based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show. Uh, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. Uh, and we've had some freaks. So we've had some people buy some pens, some pillows, <laughs> shirts, hoodies. You can just get a poster. Uh, the link to that is in the description as well as at sleezoidspodcast.com. 
But yes, that is the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks, the uh, main feed listeners, would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest uh, Will Sennett on the show, uh, who joined us to talk about some uh, cable dad classics uh we <laughs> talked commando 1985 starring arnold schwarzenegger and nice. we talked under siege 1992 starring steven seagal two films that uh, kind of uh, in our opinion represented the the broadest purest uh kind of most popular <laughs> uh version or image of those two um actors uh in their prime if not you know necessarily the best movies that they were a part of and we had a lot of fun breaking down some of the crazy nonsense that happens in uh, both those movies commando with just the pure level of destruction and uh, under siege with uh, the uh, surprisingly sort of like classical action suspense qualities but with uh, character actors just going off in that like Tommy Lee Jones and Gary <laughs> Busey. so good I love that movie <laughs> it's so fun just a lowly lowly cook uh, great stuff and then uh, last week over on the Patreon we uh, went uh, sort of problematic erotic thriller mode from the <laughs> 90s. Uh, we talked One Poison Ivy from 1992 with uh, Drew Barrymore uh, sh- shooting that, I believe, at the age of 17 and uh, having <laughs> full on sex scenes with uh, Tom Skerritt who was uh, old <laughs> 59 <Tom> years <laughs> old or something. Either way, a really wild um, sort of like femme fatale kind of teen movie experience going on with Poison Ivy, directed by uh, one Cat Shea. It was really cool, who did a lot of sort of like uh, um, exploitation, sexploitation kind of films in the 80s. And then we paired that with the, the cult classic, the seminal classic of the 90s, starring <laughs> Marky Mark and Reese Witherspoon, Fear from 1996 yes. directed by James Foley which Featuring is a, a really really crazy film that almost almost isn't an erotic thriller uh, in, in a way it is like just this more of a paranoid dad fantasy yeah. um, <laughs> having the worst time ever that his daughter's first uh, boyfriend is a psycho killer and Marky Mark takes every opportunity to play that as cartoonishly and evil as possible and it has a full on <laughs> straw dogs like siege movie finale that just kind of blew us away um <laughs> so if you want to hear that episode patreon.com slash these podcast that was over exclusively for the patrons that was last week's bonus episode but uh moving on to uh this week we have a very special guest joining us uh you might have already heard her a little bit she is a uh horror writer and she is the author of such books as uh, devils onto dust which is like a western zombie horror uh story and uh missing presumed dead which is uh, more of a ghostly neo-noir romance i believe um, that is correct <laughs> yeah nailed it uh <laughs> and that guest <laughs> is uh emma burquist emma how are you doing i'm doing great how are y'all doing we're doing Ugh. awesome <laughs> thanks for uh thanks for stopping by and for bringing of some course. you thanks know as soon as i me. as soon as i took a look at the kind of stuff that you were you were writing <laughs> i was like okay i think we need to get her on the show she seems like she would probably have some crazy recommendations when it comes to genres genre films i have um, some thoughts <laughs> yeah and you didn't disappoint emma uh as it goes we have the guests bring the double features with them so what did you bring with you this week and why did you pair these two films together um, so I, I chose, uh, 
1988's wonderful film, uh, Waxwork, and then uh, 2000's Ginger Snaps. And I put these two together because, well, first of all, they're both um, very low budget films, um, but they do manage to have some really cool special, uh, special effects. And I really love werewolf films and there just aren't enough good werewolf films. So I wanted to, uh, I think Ginger Snaps is probably the best werewolf film that, that's been made. And then Waxwork, while not a great film, <laughs> is I think one of the coolest werewolf transformation and sort of depictions of a werewolf. And I thought it would be fun to put those together and see um, what you can do with like a low budget and still have it look cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I also think that there's a, there was a cool kind of angle here too, where they were both uh, sort of teenage monster mm-hmm. movies in a way mm-hmm. too, where the characters were, you know, uh, younger characters dealing with really, really uh, gory situations in these particular films. <laughs> um, well, and that's, that's one of my favorite things about sort of horror and, and usually writing for young adults is that it's sort of putting teenagers in these sort of horror situations is such a classic kind of horror trope. When you look at, most of the franchises when you look at, you know, Friday the 13th and Halloween and Scream, like these are all teenagers sort of dealing with things that are beyond their control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited to, uh, to get into these two uh, films here. And typically we go chronologically on this, but because there's not a, not a a huge thread to, uh, you know, a lot of time we do that to to clock any kind of inspirations or Mm -hmm. sort of shifts in the, in, in the time that they were made or anything. But because I don't think that there's a, a lot to, uh, do with that aspect. I think we are going to do more of like an A picture, B picture, double feature, which was a lot of, as someone who used to program double features, I always used to have fun being like, here's the popular film that you smuggle them in with. And then here's the, <laughs> here's the other one that you stick around for that you get to watch for yeah. free. <laughs> let's see if the, let's see how long they'll stay. Yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, that being said, I think we are going to kick it off here. We are going to start with ginger snaps. You're so dead. Normal teenage girls. I'm not dying in this room with you! I'm not dying! I think she's gone. You know, we're almost not even related anymore. All right, we are talking Ginger Snaps, the uh, 2000 Canadian supernatural horror film directed by one John Fawcett and uh, co-written alongside one Karen Walton. Uh, The film stars Catherine Isabel, Emily Perkins. um, I I was glad to see actually Mimi Rogers, uh, who I recognized (laughs) from uh, the fact that she used to do a bunch of like really shitty like canon movies. (laughs) Yeah. uh, as the mom and uh yeah but a kind of a, a who's who of whoever they could find in the local toronto area when they were uh shooting uh this film and yeah ginger snaps uh is very loosely the story of these two kind of social outcast uh sisters by the names of ginger and bridget and uh they kind of live in this very sleepy uh dull uh, suburb of Bailey Downs, which was uh, shot in Toronto, so it was recreated from a, a couple of different neighborhoods um, here. And these two girls, also though, uh, you know they, you know that they're dealing with. 
things to do with with adolescence and with puberty, and they also have a kind of bizarre obsession or fascination with uh, <laughs> with a death, and uh, have a pact to uh, commit suicide together and things of this nature. Um, and uh, as Emma was kind of men- mentioning before we we started, they they have some uh, very sick outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, Canadian fall uh, weather vibes as well as uh, very cool kind of uh, goth girl qualities as well. Very and, and their performances are, you know, very much, much matching. I think I think the, the casting of these two is, you know, a huge part of what makes the movie work. And they said they spent a long time looking for the pairing. They said they found so many that were like, you know, one makes a great ginger, but she doesn't really get along with anyone else. And, you know, these two apparently auditioned together because they knew mm-hmm. each other growing up. Um, uh, I also heard there was uh, there was a bunch of uh, controversy with um, the time that it was being shot and made because there was like the Columbine shootings and stuff. So they were kind of weary to make something that had such uh, violence and connecting it to teenagers, I guess. Well, yeah, there was just outrage because it's obviously this being a Canadian film, Toronto film. um, This was uh, partially funded by Telefilm, which is the um, the organization here who helps get smaller films uh, and independent Canadian films funded. And people were like, so taxpayer money is being spent on like a a, a (laughs) movie about teen violence right now. Or like literally that was like on the news. Like people were freaking out. Meanwhile, they're filming in like, you know, the actual suburbs of, of, and, and setting up these, these murder situations. Like, cause they, they, in the movie, they end up taking um, photos together of, uh, of death essentially just these various ways of people various dying. suicide situations yeah yeah and um and some of them even look like just horrible accidents like the one where yeah. she's impaled on a white picket fence and stuff like that <laughs> like it's uh but they they filmed them in the suburbs and apparently a lot of the neighbors were very uncomfortable and and they had to like hide <laughs> their kids and all of that so <laughs> i i just love the thought of that absolutely love it and, and it kind of you know it connects to the film itself because they're they feel disconnected to this environment. Um, and even the way the film opens up, like you have the shot with the uh, the sign that says like a wonderful, caring community uh, mm-hmm. cut to this kid in a sandbox uh, discovering a mutilated dog. And then yeah, intestines the, hanging out. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. And the neighborhood doesn't care at all when the, yeah, when the, they don't really do the, anything about it. Yeah. They're all just playing <laughs> hockey in the street and they look at her for a moment and they're like, all right, well back to our game. I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah, it just kind of, I guess expresses the, it, like they have this illusion of community, but it, it's kind of, um, it's an it's it's just that it's it's an illusion people don't really seem to care about what's going on they're just uh forced to kind of know about each other's lives but that's about all it goes yeah the girls Mm -hmm. are very sort of isolated and part of it is that they isolate themselves but yeah there's you know it's sort of a everything in this movie is like sort of a metaphor for being a teenager and feeling that way Mm -hmm. um just feeling like you don't fit in and feeling disconnected. And I think, you know, pretty much everyone, it doesn't matter how popular you are, feels that in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So Emma, I was, I was going to ask you, so you're from Texas, right? Yeah, that's right. 
All right. So how was it that you got around to watching a, a very small, independently made Canadian film? Because this um, was very funny. When I, when I asked you to come on, I knew partially that you were from Texas. And I kind of, I, you know, I didn't expect you to bring a Texas horror film or anything. But when you were like, I want to bring a Toronto horror film, like we're the Canadians. So I was like, okay, um, I mean, we're down. So, I mean, I, I was very much sort of like, you know, Ginger and Bridget when I was growing up like I was just a weird kid that was like into death and horror and stuff um and I had my weird friends who were also into death and horror and we would go to Blockbuster (laughs) and we would find any horror movie that we hadn't seen and we would rent it and we would watch it um so yeah that's how we watched Ginger Snaps it's how we found Waxwork like we would just go and you know rent whatever was there and and there was also there were a couple uh places like sort of more local video stores that had like a really interesting selection. So we did get to see some of the classics, but we also just saw, you know, whatever trash is out there. <laughs> that's awesome. No, and that's, a, that, that's really cool that it, you know, that it, it because this film, you know, it, it didn't do amazing when it originally came out in Canada. Mm-hmm. And apparently it didn't really pick up until it uh, eventually started playing on HBO for Americans when it kind of found a little bit more of its following, because obviously it was, you know, it was, it was doing stuff that, that transcended the, what people were just doing in the Canadian industry um, at the time. And, you know, it, it also had like a, I, I think, I, I think it speaks to, you know, the fact that you and your friends were doing something like that, that it, it speaks to to also that that's the kind of people that they were kind of going after. Yeah, um, I mean, we just with with the film. We saw the cover, and it was you know <laughs> a girl with red hair, you know, in a cool outfit with like streaks in her hair, and I was like, oh, this looks cool. Let's rent it, and it it you know it blew my mind. I was like, oh my, this is <laughs> this is so cool. This is you know, and it can't, you just find these little gems. That's also how I saw Cube, which is another like you know weird little Canadian horror movie. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, this movie actually has a really cool connection with Cube, too, because um, um, Karen, uh, sorry, I'm just blanking on the name already, was it? It was uh, Karen Walton, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, who co-wrote the film uh, with John Fawcett. Uh, she actually wrote uh, Vincenzo Natali's uh, first debut short film, which then he would springboard into getting Cube made. So, like, they That's were actually so cool. all mm-hmm. really cool friends with Vincenzo Natali, and it kind of has some of that scrappy, low-budget, yeah. you know, sort of arty filmmaking to it, where... You know, a lot of these people were were just all friends together, and I guess Vincenzo, or Vincenzo was the one who introduced these two together, John Fawcett and Karen Walton, uh, because they were both just like broke you know, film students and they were like, yeah, so his car broke down and he might need like a place to stay and get fed for a little bit. And that was how they met. And they started talking about, you know, the things that they were interested in doing that he really wanted to make a monster movie, a werewolf Mm -hmm. movie. He loved the idea of, you know, sort of kids in peril. And he liked the idea of, you know, sort of like the allegorical possibilities of it. Um, And he wanted it to be about kind of like these art. He had the vision of like these arty goth weirdo kind of teen girls, but he didn't feel that, you know, he, he could write that on his own. So he approached um, Karen Walton and uh, she's the one responsible for giving the film a lot of its, you know, sort of uh, the, the personality that it has. I, I watched a really cool yeah. interview with her where she went down, you know, they were kind of talking about sort of the the larger sort of feminist history of horror mm-hmm. and how, you know, this film kind of fits into it. And she said, you know, she's like, that's really great. And I'm glad it's found an audience. But she was like, you know, when I wrote the film, I didn't really set, sit down with like a feminist checklist. She was just kind of <laughs> like, I was just a real lonely 
you know, sort of yeah. art girl that no one ha- no one was friends with. And I was like, I just wanted to write girl characters who, you know, talked like me and my friends did. Yeah. And it's, so, you know, you just wanted that authenticity to it. Yeah. You know, it's very funny. You you just write about sort of your experience of, of you know, being a girl in the world. And then your work is like touted as being feminist. And it's like, it's just it's just, it's, it's just reality. Like It's not, right. it's yeah. not necessarily a message. Like, I mean, that's great that it is. But, you know. It's yeah, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, it's like I was, you know, it's just it, being a misfit. <laughs> yeah, people assume that there's a lens while you're writing mm-hmm. it automatically. Whether mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it, obviously you can take things from this this story about that, but but yeah, like even when I was oh, watching th- it, th- they're a, definitely leaning into it. But it's one of those things yeah. that I think says less about them as artists and more about the rest of the industry. The right. fact that you yeah. know there's not a lot of you know really authentic sometimes characters that people latch onto, and it's really shocking when they do kind of appear in this way, and especially you know delivered with the you know sort of level of care with the character writing and and in the performances and everything like i was really impressed because i was watching this actually for the first time because i've been saving this i knew someone would bring it on the show eventually (laughs) and i was just actually really because i knew that it was going to be a really cool monster movie and it was going to play that way but i i didn't actually expect to get as involved uh and sort of like moved by some of the you know Mm. the the actual relationship the way that these girls kind of have this very you know at times antagonistic relationship but that is always kind of you know uh loving in some way at, at the same time and also you know they I mean, healthily in, in some ways they are others in mm-hmm, other times mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and I, I love the way that they you know they are having these internal conflicts that they are then expressing um sort of externally which is obviously something that monster movies and werewolf movies have you know always been a good gateway to doing that but these girls do it just in the way that the, they dress the way that they perform at school the way that they you know shape their personalities and how you navigate uh that world as a teen um girl they, they talk a lot about it and you know how they're going to be perceived as you know if they're uh you know if they decide to kind of re- recluse themselves well they're the weirdos who don't talk to mm-hmm. anybody and all the <laughs> I, I, all the all the teen boys kind of like shout at them i like that all the teen boys kind of travel in like a, a pack yeah, in a pack there's yeah. like yeah there's like there's like a predator aspect to that mm-hmm. that i really like but then but then when they start you know sort of treating the transformation as liberation in a way uh then they get too psycho you know they mm-hmm. start getting they, they start thinking that they're slutty and they start you know they start judging them in that way as well so you know they can't really I, get it right uh either way so it's about these girls really reacting to you know the kind of uh, uh social boxes that they are going to yeah. get put and, in just I mean, for Ginger the way that they look says you know she she says uh, you know you you can be a, a slut or a tease or the virgin next door like you have to pick right one. you can't be all those are them. your options you to, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I like, yeah I, like, I, her, I, like her idea of it's it's how these you know these people are just perceiving us. So we'll find a way to coast through the way the world just works. Um, mm-hmm. It's a pretty sad sentiment that she gives off mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, but she, in that moment too, there's like a sense where she feels kind of powerful too because she's finding these you know she's transforming. Um, so it almost feels like she's saying. It's a it's a sad reality, but I'm going to take advantage of it as much as I can. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a sad movie. Like, yeah, it, it is. It it's is, really sad. It actually. is a very sad movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I always um, when I describe it to people, I say like it's a monster movie, but it's like it's like uh, it doesn't. It has some of the humor of an American werewolf in in, in London, but it's like crossed with the mm-hmm. Virgin Suicides. Like, it's a very yeah. weird. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it's hard, it. Like, and I don't understand how it can straddle that tone, but it does. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Like there's yeah. even moments where they like the, the part where um, they're, they're trying to uh, control Ginger because she's really going through mm-hmm. the transformation. And as they're leaving that one party, the uh, Sam, the Sam character, the the drug dealer that helps Bridget, um, just hits her in the head with a shovel, and it's almost yeah. like a physical comedy gag in a sense. Yeah. Even the way that they discuss it after, they're like, "It's a misunderstanding." You know, he wasn't supposed <laughs> yeah. to do that. Um, yeah. But then the next scene, you know, he's being torn to shreds because she's fully transformed into this like twelve mm-hmm. foot werewolf, um, and yeah, they 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 really do balance that tone those tones well and and it is Mm -hmm. shocking how well they do it yeah and and you're talking about mimi rogers she's so good in this because she's very funny as this mom who doesn't understand what's going on and then it becomes like very poignant as she like understands more that they that they've actually killed someone and she's like Mm -hmm. ride or die with these girls she's like no i'm i'm taking you and i'm gonna protect my daughters and it's like very moving Yeah, that scene where yeah, she yeah. kind of has she has that moment with Bridget and, you know, Bridget's mm-hmm. trying to uh, reassure her like, you know, this isn't your fault. And she just yeah. looks at her and goes like, yes, it is. Like, yeah, I have is. to take and, some oh, responsibility yeah, it's, because it's I have been not brutal line reading and everything, too. And, and, how, and yeah. how how cheery, almost cartoonishly exaggerated of like just a, a sort of peppery mom that she yeah. is too throughout right. the movie right. to just have that realization that she feels like she has failed her daughters because yeah. they weren't prepared for yeah. And it's you like, know, and that's the, the last uh, scene with her too. Yeah. She just, yeah, yeah she just kind of disappears and we don't, you know, there's no sort of conclusion there. Like this movie does not give you any sort of like happy ending. That's the thing. She just sees really the truth of what's been going on mm-hmm. this entire time. And the, you know, the, 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 uh, mirage is, has been lifted and, and she just sits there and goes like, it's, it's my fault. I haven't communicated correctly this entire time. I've, I've just kind of, she, the, the entire movie, she seems to want to steer them in this direction that they're incapable of going because it's just not who they are. And, you know, the, the only thing that sure character gets is that moment of clarity. Um, and there's really no, you know, cathartic moment for her beyond that. And, and it's, uh, yeah. it, it is very sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does a really good job of that, partially because, you know, part of the humor, it's kind of like a little, some it's some of the way the girls like attitude in a way. Yeah. Like a lot of it, yeah. you know, they have this very kind of angsty. downbeat, depressed, mm-hmm. angsty, kind of like real, a lot of resigned like O's. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have this very like, it reminded me of watching... Um, like Daria and Buffy right, as a kid, right. Um, right. you know, they, they have like some of that cleverness, but you know, and grown up quality, but, and they're dealing with these small scale sort of intimate teen problems and, you know, through a little bit of obviously through um, a genre lens. And I think that that, you know, the fact that they have this, you know, sort of sardonic kind of wit to it reminded me a little bit of Heather's as well. I used to watch mm-hmm. that quite a bit. Um, so, you know, like th- that having these girls almost, you know, uh, pretending to be older than they are and then coming headfirst into, you know, these, these uh, problems that they're going to have to deal with um, as actual grownups at some point in their lives. And having that then delivered by Fawcett as like full genre extremity uh, is, yeah. you know, I think what makes it, 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 it helps because you have these, you know, real characters and these real sort of internal conflicts and feelings. And then you have that very, you know, externally expressed very expressed in surface and flesh which is you know something that obviously monster movies and werewolf movies do all the time we've talked about it you know uh, we've talked about how many we, we've done american werewolf and we've done uh, curse of the werewolf with oliver reed and a lot yeah. of the time it's kind of like this 
base animal urges made into, you know, this sort of sticky tactile, you know, uh, kind of thing, or it's the psychological concerns of, of inspe- uh, infection and, and spread and everything like that. Uh, I'm excited for whenever we get around to Joe Dante's The Howling, because that's the one yeah. that I thought about the most watching this, um, which was a, a perfect example of, um, you know, sort of an almost Cronenbergian attempt to do werewolf mm. as mm. more of this like transformative repression. Um, and it, it, it ends up in this kind of like new fleshy kind of finale uh, in a way. And uh, that was what I was reminded of the most watching Fawcett kind of like combine this, you know, coming of age story about, you know, sort of this teen girl experience and puberties and yeah. turning it, that into like a sex and death uh, Canadian body horror yeah, <laughs> kind of really, experience. It really leans into into the body horror and in, in it's grotesque. Not, yeah, into the grotesque and into the just sort of the very most basic like being afraid of what your body is doing and not understanding it and just it, people absolutely. discovering you know, it. Right. And yeah. it's it's so clever and it, it's kind of shocking. I, I don't know if this was the first film to do this. And if it was, then that's sort of been excusable. It so, was well, actually watching the interview with them. It's mind blowing because even they were like mind blown yeah, when they like were talking how, about it. They were like, did how no did no one, one come to this? <laughs> like something yeah. called like, you know, the change <laughs> with right. like a werewolf transformation. <laughs> like, that, I mean, it's such an obvious connection when you watch the movie and, you know, or when, when they talk about, uh, you know, I got the curse, you know, these things, yeah. are, it, it's just such a perfect metaphor that it's, it, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable that it took until 2000 for that to be, you know, something that they put into a film. Yeah. Uh, J- John Fawcett in the interview where he was talking about him and Karen, the light bulb moment for them <laughs> while they were writing it and got them concerned about that. They felt they needed to write it faster so that no one else would get to it. But when they, when they realized that they were trying to research something to do with lunar cycles mm-hmm. and then they were like, wait, the, <laughs> yeah. uh. the, they were like, wait, that's act. That's how the, that's how the body works too. <laughs> so then they were like, okay, we really have our, have our idea tying, um, you know, menstruation and, mm-hmm turning that into a creature feature thing. I mean, I even like how they just use it literally and yeah. you know, like she, she, she gets, um, her, her first period. And, uh, I like that the, the sister is like, well, you know, maybe it was a bear and he yeah. smelled the blood, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> just, just a great little, um, uh, detail like that. And again, it, it very much combines, you know, this very real teen girl, experience and how kind of confusing and scary and losing control of your body, which gets you into that sort of Cronenberg element. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, again, having that be just delivered on, um, in such extreme, um, ways in this film. Um, I think that that stuff is just really, really, uh, fantastic. And I thought that, you know, again, uh, the film also just pretty well made considering the budget. I think it's like a $4 million budget. Um, I have to imagine they blew half of that on the practical effects work that they did because for whatever reason they could have done CG and they did, they thank God they did because it holds up so well. It does. And they, they opted out of it entirely despite I'm sure how much of a headache it had to have been on this low of a budget. Yeah. Yeah, And I, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I read a couple interviews with Catherine Isabel and like she the amount of like you know prosthetics they had to do on her by the end is she oh, I couldn't even imagine not, and she was only <laughs> 17 or something and she was like I you know because she's got the context contact she's got the prosthetic on her face the ear like she was like oh, yeah by the see. end she's looking like a Star Trek yeah character. like I couldn't yeah. hear anything <laughs> couldn't see anything could barely feel anything and like she you know it's just like it was so uncomfortable it's just like but I mean but it looks amazing 
Yeah, I read on the wiki that uh, because of the makeup, it kind of it, it put her nose in a position where it was constantly running. So between takes, she had to just put cotton swabs in the middle of them. So it was definitely. Oh well, yeah, well, and, and they, they they shot for um, sixteen hour days in like November, yeah. December in Toronto. Do you yeah. know how cold that had to have been? God. Crazy. That had to have been brutal. Um, Why do people live them? there? I just yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's it's okay for like six months, you know. But yeah, the other yeah. six months, you're we ask the same question. Um. <laughs> and I think she also said she couldn't talk because of like the fangs in her mouth, or she like gave her like a release. Really oh yeah, you throat. can so tell she had to, she in had some to, of the they scenes. They had to do a bunch of like you know, um, sort of AVR over it. So <laughs> yeah, she had a big lisp or something. Yeah, it's like damn, where's the like moon? What I don't know. I do love how yeah. they use yeah. that though, where it, they um, they the setting is a, a Halloween party, so everyone is dressed mm-hmm. up, and she comes in with her actual transformation, and she comes in at so first good. with like all this confidence, and they give her like a slow mo, and uh, the blonde you know, bombshell hair is yeah. so funny. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and you know a, a classic to early two thousands gothic outfit, and it's just uh, it, that that part is great, where she kind of like finds her confidence in the transformation until mm-hmm. it goes was you know terribly wrong yeah yeah she i mean she she can handle it up until like she gets rejected and then and then it sort of like you know she gets that switch right right and that's it's, another it thing is, it way. is like yeah the as being a teenager girl like nothing crushes your confidence like being rejected and it's like that's she goes into this you know she want you want to attack in return because it, it'll make mm-hmm. you feel better and that's what she does right and i, I mm-hmm. like the way they uh Kind of present the idea of power in this um, because you know when she has these kind of outbursts, she, you know, she can't really hone in this power yet. She doesn't understand it, and I don't really think at this point in her life she wants to. She she kind mm-hmm. of you know she t- she says in in the movie several times it feels good. You know, it's essentially mm-hmm. like touching yourself to to, yeah. to enact a, a, this violence. So um, uh, there, there's something about that that I find really intriguing too. Just dealing with kind of you know, the teenage hormones mixed with having such powerful strength because they really present the werewolf, especially when it's fully transformed as this mm-hmm. absolute juggernaut. Like it's just the, the way they, yeah. um, I love the way they use a uh, shaky cam when someone's just being like torn apart or um, the way that it, it, like someone will be in a room just hiding from it and they just have the walls just smash and doors crash and break mm-hmm. and it just feels and just very blood big. smeared everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it just feels huge and powerful, and I I like that mm-hmm. too. Well, yeah, yeah and I, I like the focus on. Um, I think that when I was listening to Fossa talk about it, and I think he described it as they approached it from the idea of they wanted to kind of strip some of the uh, the magic from the werewolf. They wanted to sure. focus on it because this was a girl. Since this was a movie partially about you know sort of a, a girls wrestling with their own bodies in a way, they wanted the werewolf to replicate that by being more of this like biological force. Mm-hmm. So it, there is a lot of focus on like you know how hairy it is, how sticky it is. Yeah. Mu- and like you know so when it when it attacks people it's just disgusting and it's like it's not hairy it's like it's like it's like got this white hairless skin like it's not it's not a pretty looking werewolf you know it's it's like it, it doesn't look like a wolf it looks like some sort of alien creature almost yeah and they really yeah. take their time with the transformation too like it starts with just some healing when it shows that giant scratch that she gets at first and it turns into like a little bit of fur here and there 
and then there's the tail that starts and <laughs> the tail even, is my favorite the yeah, tail is my favorite every every visual great. gag of it where it's just like it would just be a shot of her in her underwear walking across her room but there's like this giant tail sticking out. yeah i also <laughs> absolutely love the scene when they're talking to the guidance counselor and they're like oh you're gonna be going through some mood changes and her sister's like well what about hair growing she's like yeah that happens and it's just yeah. like, <laughs> And, so and how like just tired and exhausted Ginger looks specifically in that scene. <laughs> they cut back and forth from her to the the counselor, and you know the counselor has kind of just her going to work face on and all of that. And and Ginger just has like disheveled hair, and she's exhausted. <laughs> and I just I loved that back and forth. I thought that was great. Um, I also love when it when you know just kind of uh, showing their connection uh, as as sisters, where she's helping her before gym class, like hide the the tail, yeah, tuck it into her shorts. <laughs> yeah, just seems like that. It's just it's it's not just dealing with you know um, the 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 power itself. It, it, it's dealing with all of the physical things that she'd have to deal with, and just how you know embarrassed she would be that she's walking around mm-hmm. high school with a tail. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that's where you get a little bit of like kind of like that uh, uh, kind of carry aspect of it as well, yeah. too. Right. Where it's kind of like here's the, you know, sort of just the sad domestic reality of, you know, sort of a, a, a girl growing up and running into these problems that other kids maybe don't have in the same way. Or, right. you know, people would, you know, growing a tail, you know, yeah. happens, <laughs> you know, people are going to point and laugh, you know. So, you, you know, you need to have a sister there to help you along and help you get help you get uh, through that experience. And luckily these two sisters you know they are really really close i i really love the way that they just introduce these two in general the way that they yeah i really um, i mean they really is the core of the film that, that their relationship yeah yeah i mean but i i just like that you know it ties them together immediately with this uh you know, these kind of death drive, lonely, alienated feelings that they kind of have together. But also the, the fact that they kind of enjoy being separated from everyone else because they don't really like everyone else. Like when they yeah. find that dead dog <laughs> yeah. and the woman is screaming and there's that incredible um, sort of like rotating tracking shot they do on the dog's corpse oh, that yeah. is just like filthy as it like goes inside to the, the dog house. They actually replicate the shot later when they um, are going over the lawn and they find the teen girl's uh, sort of dismembered face there on the lawn um but when they're introduced here uh it's the mom screaming at the top of her lungs all of the kids playing ball hockey just being like oh yeah whatever i guess another dog is dead you know it's happened a couple times whatever um and (laughs) then the way that uh uh, bridget describes it to ginger when she's telling her uh was a baxter's fertilizer yeah (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like there's a, there's a little bit of kind of like a, you know, she's giving her the facts, but doing it with, you know, like a little bit of a, you know, I don't care kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And we're introduced to Ginger just like resting a, a giant blade on her wrist. <laughs> and she was just like, you know, you know what? Suicide by wrist. That's for girls. I'm yeah, splitting so my girl throat. Yeah. 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 And then she looks at Bridget. And it's like, you should hang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's almost like they're enthusiastic about it, too. They're excited. Yeah, they, they, they made this pact, they say, when they were eight years old because they were like suicide. It's just the ultimate fuck you. And that's mm-hmm. how they feel to everyone. Yeah. And um, I really like that, um, Bridget's like kind of insecurity of even that where she's she goes, what if it doesn't make the statement that we think it makes? What if they just point and laugh even at our yeah. death like that? That's I don't want sh- people looking at me. Yeah. Like that, yeah. You know, I don't want it to be a show the same way that, that they're sort of like their fake death photos are. I, I right. actually like 
laughed really hard when I found out. Cause I was like, it's a really moody, cool little montage that they do. And I, I thought mm-hmm. a little bit about the opening credit sequence to like seven. It kind of has like that oh, yeah. sort of creepy slideshow kind of gruesome textures yeah. to it. <laughs> you know, the girls are putting on these staged death sequences of, you know, a pitchfork is in the neck. One is impaled by a fence or having their eyes poked out in the bathroom or they're overdosing on pills. One's wrapped up Laura Palmer style. (laughs) The the other is like chewed up by a lawnmower. (laughs) And when I, when the reveal that this was a class project, like an art project that they were turning in and the teacher is like, I'm sickened. He's like, see me after class. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite part of his reaction is when he goes, he says something like, I am sickened. Wasn't I? As if he's like almost (laughs) kind of impressed, but he just has to repress it completely. And I like that every other uh, kid in the class is so about it. They're all clapping and like, Oh yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. I mean, like I would have been impressed. Absolutely. Like it's, it's, what I think this movie gets, what it understands so well is that, like, yes, you, there's part of you that wants to be popular and wants to fit in, but when you don't, you take pride in the fact that you don't. And so it's, exactly. it's this, especially growing up in, like, you know, a small town like this, it's like, yeah, we're weird, we're freaks, people, it's like, yeah, but I'm not like the rest of them. Like, I'm different, I'm special. <laughs> Right. And that's yeah, what they want. Absolutely. And and I think they're they're both just so good in this. Like, I mean, Catherine Isabel obviously is just fantastic with the way she like She's so good goes just in general. Change, have you seen the show Hannibal? Yes. Oh okay, sorry. She's, yeah. That's like my favorite show. So yeah, she's no, so good it, in that. For me too. too. Yeah. She's she's um, incredible on that, and I I was really excited when I watched this, and because again I was watching it for the first time, and I was like, hey, it's the yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it, a yeah. Margot from Hannibal. She's, I was very she's, excited. Um, she's also very good, and there's one called American Mary that's also a, a mm. interesting sort of body horror because uh, uh, it's it's about um, what do they call it now? Body body alteration, kind of. Gotcha. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's a very interesting film, though. But it's another sort of horror horror film that she's in. Um, but I also think that like. Um, Emily Perkins is so good in this, and she, it, part of it is her her body language. Like she's just always very sort of hunched over, and I love the hair. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. So apparently she like shaved her head right before the movie because she felt like it. And so they had to put her. <laughs> That's in a something wig, the so character like would thing. do. So I got to give her some. Yeah, credit I know. On, I think. I mean, it. it's like perfect for this. Like she, you know. But it it is it is the the wig is quite big and like in her it's, face you know, it's huge but it definitely works it, it, it yeah. makes her look a lot more feral than the performance yeah. that she's actually giving because <laughs> she's not the werewolf one it's her sister ginger who is uh doing the transformation after uh she is attacked uh after getting her uh period in the park and i i like the first like re- uh, attack sequence of it too mm-hmm. i think there's some really solid because you know um i think that a lot of really great character writing by one but mm-hmm. also Fawcett, who didn't seem to direct much um after this other yeah. than um he did uh i guess together with walton they they did a show called orphan black together which i still haven't watched but i've heard good things about yeah uh, but he didn't seem to direct much after this which i was kind of surprised about because there's a lot of really solid just like suspense sequencing and things in this like when Definitely. when they're just watching the um <laughs> the little uh like 
pony kind of rock back and forth in the middle of the park and yeah. you know the, the the blood uh is is on the ground and they're sitting there just like really concerned and then that assault sequence just comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. and yeah, you know it's, it's so biting fast. into her leg and you know the the chase into the forest and everything like the the sequence is really really viscerally effective and the effects are solid and it climaxes on the werewolf getting hit by a car and fucking <laughs> exploding yeah, chunks exploding. of flesh all this, over the van. It's huge. Much, I, I love this a, movie. There's so much gore. It just really, it just really piles yeah. it on. It's great. Yeah, they even have an aftershot where he gets out of the van and looks at the body, and it's just mangled. Like the ribs yeah. are sticking out, and the, <laughs> yeah. it's it's and again, it feels very uh, gooey. Again, it feels like yes. everything in this movie just drips. It's it's so gross. Um, I also love when they incorporate both like the characters' technical skills as makeup artists and whatever um, mm-hmm. with the movie itself where um, they accidentally kill Trina, who is the school bully. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's the she, 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 she's the preppy girl who they play field hockey with and they, yes. they don't have a great relationship with her because she's she's the popular girl mm-hmm. and she's also just like an asshole to them and is constantly making fun of them and uh, physically assaulting them. Uh, sometimes yep. Yep. <laughs> and they 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 kind of wish at some point that they could just you know as every teen girl does I imagine they just wish that man I just love to strangle that girl you know <laughs> I just love to deal with her and it's very funny watching them get to sort of cathartically express that a little bit um, later in the film as they like literally assault her or as in the sequence Jamie's about to talk about where you know again for Ginger this transformation it's confusing it's scary she's losing control of her body but at the same time she's getting power and she's like I am stronger than Trina and that the whole sequence leading up to them uh, accidentally killing her is actually you know her being like I should just fucking kill her she's annoying you know she's pulling up at our house she's being an (laughs) asshole to us you know I should just kill her and and obviously you know Bridget is not as far gone psychologically as Ginger (laughs) is at this point and is like you can't just kill the girls at school that we don't like like I don't like her either but (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna cause a lot of issues yeah, but uh, um, she also also the grotesque detail of her um, slipping on a carton of milk that's also yeah. mixed with like her with vomit. Blo- yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and, gross. and I, I just I always hate the thought of that that quick smash of the head on a corner oh, like a sharp yeah. corner and the they really sound sell of it. it. Oh, yeah, it's brutal because they have this. I think the camera angle is like below the counter and looking up. So you see the head just smash right on the corner. Yep. Oh. And then um, and, and then they do a really interesting shot where it shows the body just kind of lying in the milk and slowly the red starts to come out and mixing yeah. in with the milk, oh, which was very effective. Um, and then what I was uh, referring to uh, just a little earlier was when the the parents come in or they come home. So they kind of they panic and the parents are aware of what they do artistically. So what they do is they they take the body and put it in a freezer and Ginger just lays down <laughs> on the real blood and vomit and just acts as if they're, you know, making another piece of art. Um, and I love that Ginger still kind of has this this smart ass attitude about her, even in this situation where she could get in a ton of trouble um, and, and just blow the whole the whole thing. So she looks right at her dad and is just like corn syrup. You want some daddy? 
you know, just kind of yeah, still like offers it to, to him, like yeah, and then licks yeah. her fingers. Yeah, like, meanwhile, it's it's this real teen girl's blood that they just accidentally mm-hmm. killed. Yeah, um, I, I love the mom too running in. He's like, I told you, no more deaths in this house. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that incredible shot too of the mom taking the ground beef down into the freezer where the teen girl's corpse is, in the fr- yeah. <laughs> and uh, great shot where you could see on the one side of the frame is the mom's hand holding the beef, and on the other side is just the girl, her corpse in the freezer, and uh, Bridget has to distract her by baiting her into talking about her boy problems. It's, oh yeah, it's so is, good, just mom, <laughs> and it's like you can see her panic, and it's like, what do boys want? It's just like, yeah, it's just the perfect like, oh honey. <laughs> yeah, which leads to a funny little like dad joke uh, where he's like, they're listening to you for the first time. Don't you think something's wrong? It's like the first time <laughs> yeah. that he actually in the entire movie shows any type of concern at, at all. And it's the one time they listen to the mother. I just thought that was very funny, too. Both yeah, they, they, yeah, they actually ask her for help. She's like, you know, why are they suddenly so interested in anything that you have to say? That's not normal teen girl <laughs> behavior. Meanwhile, you know, the camera Sus. is like pulling over off the bed towards the window where you can yeah, see them dragging the, the corpse body. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Just a great physical gag. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Once again, balancing those incredible tones. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like that. that's just a really solid joke. And yeah. yeah, but it does that while, you know, never sacrificing how how gruesome this is and how confusing it is for the yeah. girls, too. Like even when they're burying her and they're talking about you, they're, you know, like they're like girls, you know, no one will suspect that girls don't do this shit, mm-hmm. you know, like, no, we're good. We'll, we'll get away with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. I watched this for the first time when I was like. 10 or 11 or something like that and I snuck it on cable because it was on the uh, the sci-fi channel when they would do horror nights or whatever and gotcha. I remember distinctly remembering this scene and thinking like it, I, I enjoyed that gag and I was still kind of you know traumatized a little bit because I think I was too <laughs> young to really be witnessing all of this but I remember thinking like oh they're getting away with something just like I am because I'm not supposed to be <laughs> yeah. watching this you know those are the same yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. Breaking the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I just, um, there's something it, it, this about this movie. It, it carries like a vicious tone to it, but then has mm-hmm. that same comedy and yeah, it's just great. Yeah. 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 No, and I, I think it's, I think it's a great, you know, blending of the two because you get, you know, these girls dealing with these problems that you wouldn't think, you know, would go to these um, kinds of levels. Like, again, when the transformation first starts, it's like, you know, she's like, I can't have a hairy chest. Yeah. That's fucked. <laughs> you know, like that's the kind of concerns that's that that she's having is, you know, yeah. that they they it's very a very extreme version of puberty that she's dealing with. And, you know, she I like that when they take her, she takes her to her shopper's drug mart to buy her first pack pads and she's like the oh, words yeah. just and cramps yeah. don't sure go together just cramps? and she's like <laughs> yeah. just cramps yeah. she's like, yeah. <laughs> like stooped over in pain yeah um. yeah yeah and uh you know like no like again every person in her life is telling her how normal this is mm-hmm. you know you know you, you know you got to start worrying about pregnancy and stds now but you know the, the every girl has this happened to her and she's like i don't think you understand i, I didn't just bleed i think she says it was a geyser mm-hmm. <laughs> it was everywhere yeah and, uh, and, again, and, and, and the then, mom's excited about it she's like our little girl's a woman like and, and the dad king. is like i'm trying to eat <laughs> it's just silence yeah, <laughs> but like, and you get that poignancy too that like this marriage is is not a good marriage, and it's like they talk about they have to go to you know counseling that night, like just all yeah. these little things 
that sort of just add these layers to the movie about how like these people are all sort of deeply sad. Yeah. 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 And, but, but then you get a visual gag, like her pulling out her daughter's bloody underwear and trying to Clorox it, even though it's beyond saving. (laughs) 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 Or, uh, or, or the gags of her trying to like shave in the tub and everything like that. But she's, and she's doing it so deep. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That one's really (laughs) nasty. Cause the, the way that they make the, uh, the, the the razor is like you can see the giant clumps of hair and and you just kind of recognize how dull that thing has probably gotten and all the blood yeah. that's running down her her leg it's it's like oh just it uh, feels just gross yeah it, yeah and just little things like that where where it's it, it's it's like the things that bother you uh like when you're dreaming like like too much hair your teeth falling out or like yeah. her nails start to get really thick and sharp just like these little things that are somehow more upsetting than than the big gory stuff. Just these mm-hmm. little body body horror issues. Yeah, even they, yeah, they well, start to express it like uh, especially in that first, um, or, or I guess the only one, the sex scene but between mm-hmm. Ginger and I can't remember the other guy's name right now. But uh, they do an. Awesome I think it's thing I think where, it's Jason. Okay, Jason. Where right before she kind of the, the, the one that she him. kind of found gross, but then starts kind of like pursuing mm-hmm. once you know she starts realizing that you know she's becoming sexually mature and she can kind of even dominate him in a way. Yeah, yeah. Because when she does in that scene, I love the way they they have her like spine kind of grow oh, right yeah, before she yeah. digs into him. Um, and the car is just I also shaking. love Bridget yelling at him, uh, hey, she's ovulating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And it's again, it's in, it's in front of everybody, too. So it carries that kind yeah. of like you're yelling this in front of everyone. It's embarrassing, but they have no idea the yeah. scale of what they're actually dealing with. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's there's the fun little fake out where you think that she's killed him. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you hear this like horrible <laughs> snap and there's blood. Scene. And, yeah, and he's like, she rocked my world. <laughs> and they're like, yo! <laughs> he looks like he got the shit beat out of him, and he's still, like, big smile on his face. Yeah. His penis is bleeding. It's just, it's not, it's yeah. not what you would think his moment Dude, would that, be. Dude, that, that, yeah. that shot of him just pissing blood into yeah. the urinal, that's oh, pretty gross, honestly. It's yeah. wild, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, God. You see another thing yeah. where it's just like, oh, God. It's just but then like, meanwhile, uh, they have that could that. happen. <laughs> Yeah, and and like you know, you're talking about the the peeing um, blood in the urinal, and then cut to that same thing where he insults um, uh, Bridget in the field, and it's her moment of kind of like does this cure work or whatever, and she's able to get the concoction in his neck, and and at first she thinks that he's dead, but then when he gets up, he still has the the needle hanging in his neck. <laughs> And yeah. he's just great gag. Like, yeah, great <laughs> gag. And then to add to it, uh, he has like a moment of clarity and he's just kind of like, oh, I'm, uh, I, I need to get I, to class. I got to get to class. I gotta go. <laughs> like, yeah. After almost killing a fellow student, it, it's it's just so well, funny. And the build up to that is so funny, too, because I think that this movie might have the record for most dead dogs in it, right? Holy shit, <laughs> for real. There's, so, there's, there's like so there's many. like five or six dead dogs in this film and they actually there's a great joke where they literally run out of dogs. Um <laughs> so when before he attacks Bridget, I don't know if you caught it, he was trying to like lure a small child yeah, who like- I think was like he was like dressed in a costume that kind of made him. I was because it's Halloween. It kind of made him look like a dog. So like literally, he's trying to kill like the small child. 
Oh um, my god. So yeah, I mean, again, this film has so much great like periphery, little just like well thought out little design details like that, and and just like a real sense of personality to all of the yeah. characters that you know, even characters who you don't spend a lot of time with. I mean, even the character who probably should be boring in terms of the way he's written, Sam. Um, right. You know, he's an enjoyable presence yeah. in that you know Bridget kind of has a, a crush on him because he's you know despite the fact that you know he's an outcast he's you know he's got a little bit of confidence to him and he's he's uh, cooler than all the other teen the yeah. the boys at the school because he's you know he's not just like the guy who deals drugs he's also he deals drugs because he's really into plants and biology you know he has <laughs> yeah. other interests and things like that and that and becomes really important because he helps develop a wolf's bane cure which I think I is just like it, a very funny very cool. I find it very, you mentioned like, Heather and he's he always came off very much as like a, a sort of Christian Slater absolutely like definitely going for that like the, with the look and the attitude and it's yeah yeah I just love the uh, and the hair yes. I love the idea of like going to pick up a bag of weed and he's just like hey man like let me teach you about some plants while you're here like let's sit <laughs> yeah. down yeah <laughs> That's great. And he like he like lives in a greenhouse, kind of. We don't really know. Or yeah. his van. Possibly. He, he also not. throws the, the the local party at his greenhouse. Okay. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the local and, drug dealer is the is a hero. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and and actually, like he he is like the only character who because he's the one he's the one who hits the werewolf with his van, the yeah. lichen. <laughs> right. um, so he's the only one who actually kind of believes her and, uh, you know, actually wants to help her through this issue that she's having having. And it's her first connection, you know, with someone that she's actually like that's not having just a connection with her sister, like outside of her sister. They kind of have a relationship together. And that actually kind of gives a little push and pull because Ginger is kind of upset that, you know, she's getting attention from the this other guy and she's becoming less interested in in her during this transformative um period of her life and you know the fact that she's separated from her sister is kind of what leads her down the path that that she goes where she starts uh getting incredibly violent um yeah. and you know the she starts to realize that she kind of likes uh, killing she likes literally describes liking the feeling of just having her like fist in someone's gut she's like it feels great <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah there's even that there's yeah. a one uh line that i really like where uh, bridget asks like if i were gone would you eat her and she's like god no that would be like fucking her <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and she says earlier you know like she she has this ache in her and she thought it was sex so that's why yeah. she had sex with jason um, but it, it's it's not the ache isn't for like the ache is like she wants to tear things apart. That's that's yeah. yes, that's one of my favorite, which is a great line. Yeah, yeah. like that, love, that like, perfectly surmises what she's experiencing and what we're experiencing with her. And I love as she delivers it. She's covered in blood. She's vomiting blood in the toilet. <laughs> And you oh, know, God. she's just at a moment of I love the like, room, by the way, speaking of which. Oh, it's so great. I want <laughs> yeah. that bathroom. Yeah. The production design of the yeah. the dirty concrete walls and the candles and like all the tacky purples and greens everywhere in yeah, it and, and all of their the, yeah their polaroids uh, and like shrines to death and like <laughs> yeah it's great the set design is Pretty amazing my ideal bedroom really <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so all all that stuff is 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 really great, but yeah, and but ultimately it does come back to this relationship between between these sisters that Bridget really wants to help her with this, but you know no one else is able to because no one else is willing to believe that this is you know more than just a typical girl dealing with puberty, and it has been you know uh, really rushed to the point where you know Ginger 
you know, uh, is trying to own it and use it as a form of, you know, expressing herself and, and liberation. You know, she's trying to own this new thing that she is kind of um, becoming. Yeah. And as a result, you know, <laughs> uh, that gets into some, you know, some some really dark places like the the part where you really notice it and the part where Bridget, you know, starts to get really because, you know, obviously the part with Trina really freaks her out. The fact that they have to bury this girl. But it, at least with Trina, she didn't like Trina. You know, yeah. she's like, yeah, I had to <laughs> yeah. bury her in the backyard. Kind of a problem. You probably shouldn't go to school anymore, uh, just in case you do that to someone else. And then she goes to school and she kills a teacher and like the his like all the gashes in his uh, head as his oh, corpse yeah. is on the desk. And then when she attacks the janitor, right. who Bridget Bridget it's like the only person at school that Bridget likes is this nice little <laughs> Asian janitor. Yeah, <laughs> and she just starts throwing him into lockers and like smashing his head through glass. And it's uh, you know really using um, her strength. And this this was some of the effect stuff that I just don't even know how that they they, they did because like that's the kind of like action that you shouldn't be able to have in you know a movie of this size. But they they really pull off this transformation, especially with the makeup that took however three hours or whatever it took to to put her in. Um, yeah, but I think that's the she, moment because it's it's not just that Ginger is like doing these hor- horrific acts of violence; it's that she's trying to sort of cut any ties that Bridget has with anybody else. You know, she doesn't want her to be friends with Sam. She doesn't want her, you know, like the the janitor was like, you know, not a friend, but at least, you know, someone she liked. Um, And so she's like really trying to isolate her because she wants Bridget to, you know, basically join her in becoming, you know, this monster. And Bridget doesn't want that. And Ginger really can't accept that. Yeah, she wants that. It's like that scene um, at the dinner table where, you know, things are more normal, but you can tell the family has a lot of issues and and Ginger gets upset and goes to her room or, or she's told to go to her room and Bridget just kind of follows her. And it, it's something that she's not told to do. She just kind of instinctually does it. Um, Ginger essentially wants to keep that going even to the point right. of murder. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you know, like she does things it's not only that she like uh, tries to get Sam out of the picture, but it's like she she hits on, you know she tries to have sex with him, right. knowing yeah. that her sister kind of this is her sister's friend. Like she she really and that's I think is like the line that she crosses. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that and then also ki- kind of getting weirdly sexual with Bridget, which is like you know. <laughs> Uh, very uncomfortable, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah, well, and, and what kind of sucks about it is that we know that, you know, like Ginger has expressed, you know, frequently, you know, like she she is increasingly getting more sort of unhinged and, and, mm-hmm. and monstrous, but we also know that she has complicated feelings about that and there's parts where she breaks down and, you know, she's she's going to Bridget and saying, you know, like nothing makes me feel good except for tearing things to pieces mm-hmm. and I I can't live like this. Like yeah. I, you know, she, I, and I, but also... cut the tail off. Right. She's trying to cut the tail yeah. off, which is like disturbing. Yeah. And, you know, and she's, you know, she's like, I, you know, we are being alienated from each other and alone when, you know, we said that we would never do that. The whole point of suicide pact was not um, just the fact that it would be cool and we would commit suicide. It was, it, it's the last line of it. It's the together forever kind mm-hmm. of thing that all they have yeah. is, is each other. Um, and then they, and, I guess they use that because Bridget has to kind of convince Ginger to come along with her so that she can, you know, cure her or do whatever. And in order to do that, she, you know, cuts her hand and 
makes another blood pact with yeah. her as mm-hmm. the werewolf. Yeah, because that's yeah. what she uh, suggests that they do earlier. Like Ginger right. makes that uh, suggestion when she's killing the janitor um, right in right in front front of her, and she's just like, you know, we need to be to together uh, in this. Like, if I'm going to turn into this, you should also be turning into this. And uh, I, I can't remember exactly what the line is that that she gets there, where she says. Um, something along the lines of, you know, uh, I said, I, I said, I die for you. And then she said, no, oh, you said yeah. you die with me because you had nothing better, to, better do. to do. Oh yeah. 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 That's see. just like a really pointed line that really sends, sets ginger off. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's when she starts uh, trying to have sex with Sam and the yeah. line that she gets, <laughs> some of the lines are just really, even the lines are gross where she's just like, you know, what would I feel like on the inside, Sam, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's and uh, meanwhile, the, 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 the yeah. mom is starting to kind of find out what's happening, uh, with them. And I really like the detail of this, you know, really sort of bright, cheery mom who's, you know, been kind of cheering on the fact that her daughter, you know, is, you know, growing up and, and all of this and trying to give her boy advice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but she starts figuring out what's going on. Cause she finds the dad finds the fingers in the yard and she's like, Oh, it's the girl's project. You know, it's fake, whatever. Um, but then she puts it into the Tupperware in the fridge, adding, <laughs> uh, adding this film to the catalog of films that we've covered where characters keep buying body parts in the fridge, which includes great company of, uh, possession, yes. uh, and, uh, necromantic, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a very disturbing film that I haven't thought about in a little while, but yes. Yeah, so this joins <laughs> that and the mom eventually does dig up the girl's corp, the, the teen Trina's corpse, like in the shed and everything like that. And as we kind of already mentioned, I love her reaction where she drives over to the party, knowing what's happening. And she is immediately like, you know, ride or die for her daughter. She's just like, yeah. uh, I'm going to burn the house down and yeah. we're all going to run <laughs> yeah, away. She's like, she's got a plan like yeah. right away. Like she knew this was, you know, she's happen. like, she, 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 she's like, you've done a terrible thing, but you are my babies and no one is going to like take, yeah, no one's gonna uh, take, take you, from you from me. me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, immediately she's just like, let's burn down the house and I'll run away together. And, you know, Bridget is really moved by that gesture of like, you know, that she would totally back them up in this, even though they know it's, you know, an awful situation. And yeah, you know, then she, she thinks that it's her fault that she didn't prepare her daughters for, you know, the, uh, the craziness of, of the, the outside grown up world, even though this is again, a very extreme allegorical rendition <laughs> of that. <laughs> I don't think any mom should have to uh, teach their daughters about how to cure, uh, werewolf problems. <laughs> Many of them just probably don't know how to do it. Yeah. Uh, I although I do, I do like Bridget just watch at one point watching werewolf movies yeah. and just taking notes. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. like, that's, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do your research. Doing research. Yeah. I thought that was that was really great um little detail. Uh but it leads to a, a final climactic sequence where they make their way all the way back to the house and it goes uh you know, a, a ginger goes full American werewolf style transformation. Um, Bridget's doing these like really great sort of like wide eyed, uh, expressions as they are, you know, they're tracking through the house looking for like this giant bloody dog of a sister that's <laughs> rampaging the house. There's these incredible kind of like Dutch angle pull away shots in this sequence where like they, you know, the, the camera is pulling down the hallway where you can see the claw marks all over the house. And she looks at this picture of her and her sister or this painting of them when they were like eight, that's getting like 
smashed off the wall because, again, you know, that relationship is uh, no longer tenable uh, in its current yeah. form. And it's the most and, like yeah. pristine that they look like they're just very, you know, yes. cleaned yeah, up for the family clean, photo very, and all that. Very, they look very yeah. sweet, not at all like the way that we've been seeing them. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it, the, the whole house is shaking like this. This creature is uh, a force of nature. Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, and it, and the, uh, the creature looks awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. And there's a great moment where Bridget, like, she really tries. She she tries to sort of appease her sister. She kind of makes herself small, and she walks up to the werewolf, and she, you know, she's trying to drink the blood. Um, and she just, she just can't Sam's blood, yeah. yeah. While he's still and, alive. And she, and, <laughs> right, and and she's, like, trying, and she's trying for Ginger's sake, but she she just can't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, you know, she, and that's that's when, you know, that's the moment when Ginger's like, you know, that just kills Sam, and and then yeah, it, it, basically it just starts a rampage throughout the house, uh, just between Bridget and the changed Ginger, um, and then it gets to like the saddest ending <laughs> in their bedroom ever in, in a horror movie that I've seen in a little while. Um, yeah, well, and and, and really nice, um, um, sort of like symmetrically symmetrically framed shots of like I I like the one where. Um, they, they have that tense suspense sequence with Sam where her and Sam are together trying to like mix the alcohol with the plan and okay. get this cure going really fast so they can maybe cure her. Right. Um, and at one point, Sam, basically knowing that he's toast, he decides to bait uh, himself uh, out to use the cure and sticks his own arm out. And the second he sticks his arm out, he's just like pulled into the black <laughs> yeah. void um, outside oh, the little sort of like pantry closet they're in. Screaming and like yeah, he's being shredded and, and he's sound, screaming. Yeah, it's like you can hear uh, the, the cans falling, the blood leaking underneath blood, the door. Yeah. And they spend time to kind of like prep for, you know, they're, they're kind of getting jacked up a little bit. They're like, okay, this is the plan. This is what we'll do. I'll go out. I'll, I'll, you yes. know, I'll stab her with the, the needle and, and everything will be cured. Just and there's not even a second of hope. Yeah. Like it's just the door flings open. He's pulled out and torn to pieces. Essentially. It's just like it, 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 it shows just how, uh, you know, powerless they are compared to yeah. the creature. Yeah, there's just there's yeah, and no and way and, to and win. it briefly goes like pitch black for a really stylish moment where you can just hear Bridget's breathing and like oh, it's yeah. it's a really tense little sequence and the and the the shot that I was talking about the one where she finds Sam still just barely alive bleeding out in the basement in the kind of like unfinished basement of their now destroyed you know like sort of childhood home and. Um, the shot of both of them slowly crawling their way towards the, the blood pool as they're going to yeah. drink together. And Sam's like right in the middle of the frame. And you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's really ugly and you can tell that the sister, you know, you know, the, the feelings are there, you know, there, yeah. she still has a warmness for her sister, despite the really ugly mess of adulthood that is being made and literalized like right in, in front of her. And she eventually decides that, it is, you know, kind of, you know, she is irredeemable at this point. She has completely transformed and, you know, uh, <laughs> she has to stab her. 
mm-hmm. which sucks. And and she planted that knife earlier in the film too in the dresser because she was kind of scared of her sister too, which is a really sad gesture because you know she obviously didn't want to do it, but you could right. tell deep down that those thoughts were there that she might need to protect herself at some point. That's when she locks her in the uh, the bathroom, bathroom yeah. earlier in the film, which is like a really and sad little montage sequence where she's trying to like literally scr- like scratch her way out in these like low angle shots of both girls on other uh, either side of the door and everything like that. And her um, still holding. For me- Go ahead. Yeah, the, I was going to say, like, I think what you were going to say is like the most upsetting part is that she's got the knife in one hand and she's got the needle in the other. And right. it's, yep. yeah. so it's like we, there's, you still think that there's this chance. And then, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, Ginger leaps and pulls away and you see the knife and it's like, yeah. It, you know, and it, 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 I mean, there's maybe a little open net and it is like, did Ginger lunge at the knife? It, did she, but it, you know, from what we know about their personalities, I, I think that, you know, Bridget made the choice. Yeah. yeah. She said, I, I, I need to, you know, actually, I need to put her down, which mm-hmm. brings in all of the imagery of dead dogs that we've seen yeah. earlier in the film. Yeah. It makes them kind of sting a little bit as well. Cause it's still not like a great, you know, experience. Like when a dog dies, it's still a very sad yeah. thing uh, in the film. And, and, you know, watching her have to choose to do that. And at the, while choosing to do that, break the pact, you yeah. know, that they were going to die together. And, you know, she has to give the big, like, you know, I'm not dying in this room with you. And you usually um, see and the aftermath of, like, the mutilated creature or whatever. And with this, you you know, you have that slow death of, it. you know, Ginger breathing heavily and as, yeah. as uh, Bridget rests her head on her chest. And, and they even go as, as to far as not make it uh, ambiguous, at least for this movie, because there are sequels, but uh, we don't need to talk about them right now. Um, <laughs> a, a, where the the breathing stops, and she oh. just has to rest there still with the with one cure in her hand. Um, and it's yeah, just, as the camera slowly <laughs> pulls out to like show you all beds. the photos yeah. the of them. them. Oh, it's so yeah. tragic. It's so sad. And I I forgot. Like I often I've seen this movie. I guess this might like third time. But I, I often forget that it just cuts after that. And yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. They just that's credits it. It's really, really effective it's like we, uh, score yeah. that they did for it that I like a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sad again. Like the piano is, is and and, and the shot of them framed between the two like beds mm-hmm. and everything like that yeah. as well. Ugh. Like and just, yeah, it's, it's literally just a girl having killed her own sister in their bedroom and you know we've as established in the opening like her sister was also her best friend right and Um, we really don't know bridget's fate like she's still i mean is she going to give herself the needle like we can assume so but it's like you know maybe she'll is she going to keep her end of the pact that's true too they're not showing it i think does just at least bring that question up for sure yeah Mm -hmm. it's just it's oh it's such a it's so sad but i mean i i wouldn't have an end either way i mean i i feel like it that was really the only ending that would have made sense yeah. in this film. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. they just go so far, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the power gets out of control. Yeah. There's just, there's no, there's and it, the point is like, there's no going back. There's no return. Once you've made that change, you can't undo it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, pivoting towards, uh, reductive rating round here, which for UMS, where we remove all the words and all the nuance and reduce the movie between a number between one and five, but it's also become a, a closing statements and any maybe lines or scenes or anything that we maybe didn't touch upon while we were doing it. Um, but this one's going to get a really solid to maybe even a high four for me. I'm, I want to rewatch yeah. it because um, I, 
uh, was really taken with it. And the ending uh, just kind of sent it even more over the top for me. And I feel like more of those feelings would be there for me in the early goings of, of the film, mm. um, kind of knowing the destination, being able to watch for those kind of, you know, like in the opening sets up those death drive feelings, but by the end you really, really do experience them with these, these girls. Um, and, uh, so, you know, having those be sort of internalized in the beginning and having them be so externalized, um, by the end and, you know, uh, I think really, really works. And I think the film is, you know, very clever and it's very funny and gruesome and affecting and a really great combo of, you know, sort of, uh, uh, angsty teen girl coming of age and a lot of their uh, anxieties, but also, you know, like literal uh, bodily changes and developing that into, you know, um, you know, like a, an actual really effective and tangible sort of low budget sex and death Canadian body horror thing. Like I, I really did think a lot of um, Cronenberg at a certain point, the way that these characters wrestle with, you know, that they are kind of scared and confused um, about the, the transformations that are taking place, like the losing control of her body with her tail and the hair and how a lot of that can sometimes be kind of funny and done with physical gags, but also be done in, you know, these sort of more disturbing um horror sequences but even more importantly than just being scared and confused the the key to every Cronenberg movie as we've talked about the many times on this show being a Canadian genre movie podcast um is also that at a certain point you're kind of intrigued you know <laughs> yeah. by that as well and and at a certain point it becomes power it becomes liberation and uh you know so watching Ginger kind of try to to own that it becomes really interesting and I think it's very emotionally um expressed uh in the push and pull between these two sisters and how they are being sort of tragically alienated and separated from one one another um despite the fact that you know all they ever ha all they ever had at the beginning was was each other um and then just besides that too like really solid character stuff really solidly made just atmosphere and tension floating oh, yeah. camera movement lots of purposeful low angle and dutch angle shots that are used to great effect great toronto location work with the cold <laughs> leafy suburbs and schools and greenhouses and everything and again there's really solid production design and makeup effects so re really across the board i gotta say this was a really great movie the only thing that i i guess i had a question maybe for you emma on mm -hmm. on this as we're wrapping up here um because i i did notice that there there was kind of a prevailing critique reading up on the film at at the time which for a lot of people was that um i guess they some weren't as enamored with the uh the sort of third act and i think for some people it was just because literally because it becomes a full monster movie which is definitely not my issue i think the monster no. movie <laughs> stuff is really effectively done but i i guess i think some people felt it was a, the liberation aspect was a little complicated um by the fact that again this is sort of allegorically you know it's meant to be um you know this girl you know just coming of age in a way, uh, having these, you know, moving into adulthood and then having a girl becoming an adult turn into this monstrous full out bloodlust, irredeemable thing that needs to be put down for the betterment of the community. And so I, I think some people, uh, ungenerously read that. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I, I think that's I, taking the metaphor a little too, too far. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, 
I, I think in terms of character and plot, I follow all of that stuff. And I think some people just thought it maybe lost a little bit of the al- or be- the allegory becomes a little confused in mm-hmm. there by the end because it needs to give way to the genre stuff. But for me, I d- didn't find that too disrupting. And I found the genre stuff so strong that it just, you know, overpowered any of that um, for me. So yeah. I mean, for me, I think the thing I mean, it's called Ginger Snaps. But for me, Bridget is really the center of this film. Um Right. And I think it's less about sort of uh, becoming a woman and losing control and more about when you're growing up, we all grow up at like sort of different rates and we all go through these transformations and it can be really isolating when it's someone else who, who goes through this transformation first. And like, you know, like, like ginger is only like a year older, like barely even a year older. um, And she gets her period first. And, so she's going through all these changes and, you know, Bridget's kind of left behind and she's she's alone. And, you know, what happens when people grow up at different rates or, or what happens when you're sort of a weird kid in high school is that you lose you lose friends as they change and they go through um, their own transformations, not necessarily just like hormonal, but people just figure out who they are in high school. And that means sometimes you lose mm-hmm. friends as they, you know, new friends or start I like this reading. dressing differently <laughs> or start, you know, hanging out with different groups of people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's such a universal thing. And so for me, it, it wasn't just the like you know, period allegory. It was, it was growing up and especially growing up as a kid who doesn't feel like they fit in anywhere and sort of losing the only friend and connection mm-hmm. that you had and sort of how, you know, upsetting that can be. Um, so, I mean, that to me, that was always sort of my... I agree 100%. Yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah, body to this film. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's it, like high school is a very hard time. And it's, you know, it's it's especially hard when you're, you know, sort of an outcast. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of commentary on like perception because it, it seems mm-hmm. like I think Ginger gets a little bit lost in how people are seeing her at a certain point mm-hmm. and then she went with the, the discovery of that power she just kind of leans into it a little bit too much and uh, loses she starts, herself she starts to really enjoy it she she yeah. you know starts dressing differently she likes having people look at her she likes how and you know Bridget can't follow her where she's going and I think we've all been in that situation where where, where someone just changes and we can't we can't you know all where they're going and you it's you know it's hard being left behind yeah just just because it's not who you are yeah you like, know, exactly like Bridget level. she tries and she's like I can't do this you know like I can't become what you want because that's what you're yeah she has right. a, a a good line where she says you wreck everything about me that isn't about you so it's right. just kind of like you know it ginger wants her to come along but only in a very specific way and only if she was capable of I guess having the same kind of power in the same life. Um, so, but yeah, this, this was great. I, I agree with just everything that said, I won't digress too much further out. This is uh, awesome. I, I think it's a, a fantastic horror film. Uh, I love the way that it just balances those tones between like really dark comedy and absolutely vicious horror. Um, great performances all around. So yeah, this is a four, okay. maybe even like it's a strong four, I would say. Yeah. For you, Emma. Um, this is I, I have such a strong place for this film, like in, in my heart. So I mean, I I, yeah. I have to give it a five. I'm sorry. This is Hell like yeah. you know, no, we love my, that. This That's is, perfect. This is one of my like you know movies that I grew up with that like really spoke to me, and, and I do think it's one of the strongest werewolf films that 
have. Definitely. Yeah. It's in my, like, I'd say I haven't, I guess I haven't seen too many, but it's, it's definitely well, top they don't three. Make <laughs> that many. And of the yeah. ones that they make, they don't make that many good. It's like, yeah. it's this and, and, you know, howling and American Werewolf in London. And that's, it, just, <laughs> it doesn't have, and this is the only one to me really that like, like my favorite vampire movies are the ones that are sort of tragic, you know, and this is the only one that sure. has that kind of tragic sense to it. And, and that sense that like being a monster is very isolating. Yeah. I really, yeah, I yeah. really feel that in this film. Like by the end, you can't help, but just like I, I, I it really emotionally works. Uh, you're yeah. incredibly sad, not just for Bridget, but for just ginger too, because mm -hmm. I mean, it really at the end of the day, wasn't her fault at all. <laughs> so, right, right. She didn't do anything wrong. Like, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. 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 And I, I think it totally follows that track where it's, you know, it's kind of funny and it's scary and confusing and liberating and finally tragic. And it takes you on that full spectrum of that uh, journey. And sometimes it combines those things simultaneously and in really cool ways as well. So, yeah, yeah. Ginger Snaps, if you haven't seen it, check it out, everyone. Go Please watch do. it. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for Ginger Snaps. We're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Waxwork. Strong Pictures welcomes you into a new dimension in terror. Waxwork. All right, we are back and we are talking Waxwork, the 1988 American uh, horror comedy film written and directed by one Anthony Hickox in his uh, directorial film debut, uh, actually. And... Um, what would you have it? This is another incredibly emotional film about sisterhood and, um, <laughs> no, Transformation. no, uh, <laughs> uh, wax work is really interesting. I'm really glad that you brought it on. This is exactly the kind of film that we love to talk about on this show. Yeah. Uh, a film that I, I, I hadn't heard about and I am so glad that I know about its existence now because I am definitely going to show this to other people at yeah. some point. Okay, so it I is one of the weirdest films. People, and they either, they either have a really good time or they get really mad at me for making them watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely see that those are the two reactions <laughs> that uh, someone could could have to this. And l looking up the the history behind this one was really interesting because Hickox is uh, he's actually the son of legendary editor uh, Anvi Coates, who edited oh. Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> and Elephant Man what? and Out of Sight. Oh, and uh, his dad is Douglas Hickox, Douglas Hickox, who is a British director of exploitation films. And he did films with uh, Vincent Price and Oliver Reed. And he even oh. did one of John Wayne's last movies. And um, so this was his debut uh, film that he got off, got off the ground. And I think his sister also went on to become an editor as well. So this is just a film family. Um, and... He uh, tried to, like his dad, get into the exploitation trend, get into making horror movies. He did um, he did a warlock movie as well. He did the actually the only other time we've talked about this guy, Jamie, I don't know if you saw we, we did Hellraiser three. Right. Which yep. uh, 
I was not crazy about that Hellraiser because it was just kind of like a, a Hellraiser movie. But what if they shot it in like bland New York City coverage <laughs> and like yeah. Pinhead was like throwing CDs at people to death, which is <laughs> for some reason something the 90s was just obsessed, obsessed with. We've covered multiple movies from the 90s where yeah, someone is, gets killed night, with yeah. a CD. Like, oh, they're so sharp. Um, it's like one person figured out they were sharp. And- <laughs> yeah, they were like, it's like a ninja star. It's the same thing. Um, but yeah, he, uh, so he, he basically got in on the, uh, on the, the horror trend, uh, first and his career kind of actually died out very uh, slowly and seemingly unfortunately, cause it looked like by the end of his career, he was basically making direct to video action films with, uh, uh, friend of the pod, Dolph Lundgren. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Steven Seagal, he did a movie called yeah. Submerge, which I guess another, the, another submarine action movie. <laughs> it's Steven Seagal. The Dolph Lundgren movie, by the way, was called Jill the Ripper, and it was like an S&M serial killer procedural. Either way, this guy oh, has okay. one of the strangest... So he's, just, he's into S&M, apparently. Cause <laughs> yes. One of the strangest oh, yeah. careers I've ever had any... I've ever read up on, ever. And I need to watch more of his films to see how they actually panned out, because it, apparently people didn't like working with him. Oh, Warwick really? Davis did a film uh, adaptation of Prince Valiant with him that he said was a disaster and he'd never work with him again because the guy showed up uh, every day on set having partied all night and was like bringing people from the parties onto sets having given them roles and shit. Holy um, so just this guy life. was, yeah, <laughs> this guy was just like a wild man. And for whatever reason, for his debut <laughs> film, he was like, I'm going to do a loose remake of a 1924 silent era German, German silent. expressionist <laughs> film, which, which I actually watched in prep because I, yeah, I watched the first half. I haven't finished it. I ran out of time. Yeah, but it was, it was a surprisingly, you know, again, German expressionist stuff. We've, we've covered a couple times on the show, like Dr. Caligari. And, yeah. um, it was, it was interesting to see how much of the premise he actually did steal where it was like a poet who goes into a wax museum to study up on these historical monsters. And in that film, it's like Ivan the terrible and Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, and it's done in this quasi horror anthology sort of stories where, uh, they eventually do kind of come to life, although it's a little less clear if it's like literally the exhibits or if it's like, you know, he's imagining it in a, in a way or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's it, it's pretty cool little movie. It takes inspiration from Calgary and Hands of Orlock and Man Who Laughs. And it even has Conrad Veidt uh, in it. Yeah. And, um, he's awesome. and it clearly s- served as the jumping off point for Higox when he sat down to do the script. And he essentially was like, okay, so I'm going to take that, but I'm going to update it with like all of these movies that I loved as a kid growing up. And he's going to put monster movies and hammer horror and then update it with some really goofier, campier sort of 80 genre elements. Um, a la, you know, the insanely popular at the time, like monster squad, uh, not to mention that kind like, of deal. some of the weird, uh, you know, you were mentioning it's like Ivan the Terrible and Jack the Ripper in the original. With this one, he chooses like Marquis de Sade, it's the guy that, yeah. that 120 <laughs> like, Days of Sodom is, is based yeah. after, or at least a, a, fi- a piece of fiction that he wrote. Um, what yeah. else? Uh, you like got the like fan, the Invisible Phantom Man. of the Opera. Yeah. Um, yeah. The plant from Little Shop of Horrors. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's yeah. like a, a demon baby. The, the, the golem baby, from the golem. Right. I mean, yeah. this guy clearly loved like silent film yeah. uh, era. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he, he, he puts the mummy, you get some zombies. George A. Romero style zombies in there, you know, uh, uh, there's like, uh, like my a, favorite personally okay. is, uh, literally Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
some, <laughs> yeah. I, th I think it's like swamp thing, but it's, you know, some sort of like uh, swamp creature, lizard thing. Um, yeah, snake yeah, man, it yeah. says. Here. Uh, yeah, Dracula. He apparently tried to get uh, Jason, and he tried to get the children from Village of the Damned, and he also tried <laughs> to get the monster from The Thing, so The Thing. Um, but he, he couldn't clear The Thing. The thing I have is no idea how he... <laughs> It's not it's not a, a easily recognizable choice. I mean, I guess maybe he would have just like replicated the, you know, the sort of like monstrous goopy form yeah, the head and just kind of referenced something. it the same way he does like the knockoff Little Shop of Horrors plant <laughs> <laughs> where the only reason you know that it's the Little Shop of Horrors plant is because it literally says feed me at yeah. one point when yeah. they start throwing the butler into it. Right. <laughs> um, but this, this movie is fucking nuts. It's so um, weird. It's so it's, all over the place. It's crazy. Yeah, tonally, it's it's like it's silly, and then it gets really weirdly horny, and like yep. it's, it's just, super graphic. It's very graphic, like some really good, um, cool gore stuff, um, and like some really great. Like the the Dracula sequence is really awesome. The werewolf sequence is great, and then like you said, like you can't mm. even recognize the little shop of horse plant. It, it looks like a foam thing you would get at Spirit <laughs> Halloween. Like, it's just <laughs> very disconnected. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, that, 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 that's the thing is, like, like it does feel... Uh, so apparently he wrote this in three days. It yeah, feels like a movie that was written in three days. Definitely, you can tell that he wrote this <laughs> in three days. I, it it feels very like hastily strung together. Draft, like. Yeah. But but I but I will say it is surprisingly ambitious uh, in terms of tone, in yeah. terms of the various sequences that he wants to fit in, and I do th I do think that it the film's ambition does exceed his actual skill as a filmmaker. Yes, but this <laughs> is another um, one that for some reason my friends and I would watch and quote all the time, and I don't know what it was about it, but we just <laughs> loved it. But but that's just it. Like it's that's something on the show that I feel we don't typically knock filmmakers for is for being ambitious. Yeah, we, we tend, we tend to, to like get that. more angry when someone's lazy or bored mm -hmm. or you know like clearly not there with it. And here, yeah. you know, you can just tell that you know, you know, like again, there's lots of insanely corny music. The mm -hmm. style <laughs> in the present day stuff is like really overlit. And uh, very kind of flatly shot sometimes in, in kind of a way, even though I think he makes up for a little bit with some of the production design, like the cobwebs and the fog and, you know, yeah. the sort of heightened comedic tone to it can sometimes be be fun. But it really does mostly come alive when it gets into the actual movie fantasy sequences that he yeah. does because you can yeah. tell that this was kind of the excuse that he built the movie right. around was that he grew up watching you know his dad was a british exploitation filmmaker there's no way his dad wasn't being like we're watching every hammer horror film that comes out right and so when he gets to recreate sequences like that and filmmaking techniques from that time and he's you know the imitation is surprisingly solid you yeah. know so despite the fact that this it. kind of sags in the, the teenage mm -hmm. expo expository investigating of a mystery on like why is like a, a a former butler for a millionaire trying to kickstart the apocalypse yeah. by <laughs> getting yeah. all of these souls to bring these killers back to like that yeah. all that stuff he, he's clearly is not very clearly tacked yeah it, like, exactly so much of it like happens off screen where they're like oh i know this guy he was um yeah he used to work <laughs> for my my grandfather it's like what <laughs> like you know it, yeah. like he doesn't care it's just an excuse to get back to these like you know big cool like set pieces with these crazy characters 
Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So it's, so that's just it. It, it, take, it takes a little bit to, to, to get going um, with uh, there's a lot of time spent with the, uh, the rich boy, mm-hmm. Mark Loftmore played <laughs> by uh, Zach Galligan, who's Billy from, uh, from gremlins, obviously. Um, and we spend a lot of time with sort of like him and his, and his friends. And it turns out that again, there's a, this opening sequence where this man is, is killed pretty viciously to, uh, for some reason, Louis Prima's sing, sing like this, like big <laughs> yeah. band 30 swing yeah. era music as like a man is being burned to death <laughs> in his own fireplace. It is such a weird um, thing because it even opens up with like rain and a house and it just, it, it has the imagery of, you know, either a mystery or a haunting or something like that. That's yeah, like a gothic mansion. But meanwhile, you <laughs> yeah. have just like huge yeah, horns yeah. and just going off. And it, yeah, it, it is a very, very weird disjointed. Mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, I get yeah. the point in a way, but it just seems like, such a left field call that it's almost a little too much. Well, that's just it. There was so much stuff watching this where I it, I had the issue I have sometimes when we w- talk about Marco Lester films right. where I was like, yeah. how much of this is like chintzy <laughs> and he just didn't really know what he was doing right. and how much of this is actually like a solid joke? Like right. w- one of, for yeah. example, there's a really early on solid joke that I loved which is all of these teens living in this rich suburb. He's, I, I love the framing of the conversation he has with his mom where you can't even see over all of like yeah, the, the, flowers. the flowers in the yeah. middle of the table. And he's like, you should let me have a coffee. Like, I'm I a big boy. Caffeine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, like very whiny little sort of like rich boy teen little conversation that they're having. But then the two girls are walking in the middle of a suburban street <laughs> And in the middle of the suburb, yeah. where there's beautiful houses, there is just a giant wax museum. <laughs> and the girl literally turns at it and goes, weird place for a waxwork. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like there's not there's not like a lot of customers who are going to be walking through like this neighborhood to go, you know, like that's something that you would put in the middle of the city. And then just as soon as she says that David Warner <laughs> dressed in full <laughs> Willy Wonka <laughs> attire <laughs> just <laughs> appears. It's like yeah. bright magenta. Like, like he's a wizard. And, like, and, and like that stuff is very clearly like funny. Like that is yeah. tongue in cheek. That is that is good stuff. Yeah, and he disappears just as quickly. So it, it's definitely a, a gag. So yeah, yeah. But 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 he's immediately creepy, and he's just like you know you got you and your six friends should come back at midnight tonight and take a look. <laughs> and you're like this guy. This guy. He's he's bad news. Um, yeah. You. you uh, but they do, for whatever reason, decide that they're going to do that because these these teens. This is very funny. Comparing this with Ginger Snaps is very funny because we were just t- complimenting Ginger Snaps on how sort of like authentically it gets into that teen yes. girl experience, the feelings that they have. Barely real people. I don't. These are yeah. not real teens in any capacity. Yeah. Like these are joke characters. Um, and There's although I, I do, you know, enjoy some of them, like uh, Tony is played by Dana Dana Ashbrook from uh, who's Bobby from Twin Peaks. Oh yeah. And I would have liked to see him a little bit more in the movie but I, I did enjoy just like, you know, uh, I haven't seen him in anything other than Twin Peaks. So he immediately brought that energy just from me. He hams it um, up, which I loved. I thought it was a good choice in a lot of the yeah. stuff he's doing. He's usually like when in his segment where it goes to the werewolf thing, he's kind of like constantly yelling at the sky because, you know, he I can't remember exactly. Is it because he thinks that he's gone through the portal or that he's in a different time? I can't remember he- exactly, but. He's trying to decide, like, he's trying to justify, like, what happened. He's decided that someone either slipped some acid or or that he's been (laughs) hypnotized. And so he's, like, trying to... 
Which and is it's, great. It's a great sort of like little monologue where he's like, huh, hypnotism, that's it, hypnotism. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has a lot of moments where Mark gets made fun of and he's the one that is like laughing the loudest and most boisterous mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I really appreciated that he hammed up all his moments, the short lived moments that he has. Well, I also like that these are teens um, that are like playing sort of like rich kid dress up. Mm-hmm. Like they are playing like high society grown ups, and like yeah. when they're hanging around their house, they're all in dresses and suits and smoking and right. listening to jazz records, and like that's the kind of thing that they're they're doing. And meanwhile, you know, they're just like, "Oh, who wants to go to the wax work? Like, <laughs> let's rent a horror movie," you know, like. <laughs> These are the kind of conversations they're having about. Um, but they do decide to go to the waxwork and they do go there. And uh, immediately, you know, things are are, are, are not right. The, the building is spooky. There's fog everywhere. There's these wide angle lens shots of like the old school brick and kind of wood building that they're going into. No one's there. There's two butlers. <laughs> One is a giant uh, Adams family looking yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. And the other guy is uh, a very small little guy. And uh, once again, reminded me a little bit of Twin Peaks. So yeah. I was thinking a lot about yeah. Twin Peaks. There's, there's I've been thinking a lot about Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks lately. Yeah, um, that same way. But uh, <laughs> and uh, but but the doors open up for them on their own, and they start walking through. And they're you know this is their Friday night, and they realize that this museum is not just you know like a typical historical museum. There is a whole bunch of different setups, including things like. Um, a murder at, uh, at an axe murder at a campsite. <laughs> There's a sort of like medieval torture d- dungeon. There's like a Frankenstein dude. There's a freaks looking circus cart. Uh, one that I had to ask you guys about, uh, th- what is the deal with the invisible man shoving the gas pump into the woman's mouth? That was the <laughs> one exhibit that I was like, what is that? What is going, is that from, yeah, that's, that's not from the, the invisible classic. man. We've covered that film. <laughs> <laughs> a classic film. Yeah. I, I, I think he was just like, let's make every single exhibit as violent as yeah. possible. Even if it's not directly correlated I, I with the he film. Had, I think he was scrambling cause they needed 18 cause it was like six, six, six. And I think he just ran oh, out right. of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> just threw a bunch in there. You can also very much tell that all of like the actors are moving. Like you can see them. Yeah. Move. Yes, <laughs> they are not frozen like wax figures. Yeah, it, it did feel like a choice, uh, a budget thing where they couldn't come up with the actual wax people. So they're yeah. like, well, we'll just have everyone in their costume when they come to life. Just stay as still as possible. Um, it does kind of create like, and I don't think this was on purpose. I do think he was trying to trick you a little bit. Um, yeah. But it does create this kind of creepy effect when they're um, looking really closely at them and you can see just them slightly budge. Like I think that there's something gap. there, but I don't think it's on purpose necessarily. No, so I don't to, think so. But regardless, I think they were just you know, breathing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can accidentally do something cool. So <laughs> I'll just give it to yeah. you. But what he does that is genuinely cool is when he does get into these actual sequences, like when Dana Ashbrook does, he drops his lighter into the exhibition and crosses the rope barrier to fetch it. And he's immediately transported via portal into the real location of the exhibit that he was looking at, which for him happens to be a very old school kind of hammer horror werewolf film that actually did remind me actually of Oliver Reed's Curse of the Werewolf style film. Like it's the full moon, it's the hunters and you know, like it's John Reed's Davies. Like, <laughs> and John Reese Davies, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And uh, so this is, it's just, I think it's such a cool werewolf. Like he looks so awesome. And then he tears a guy in half, which is just badass. Yeah. <laughs> he, and he brushes yeah, well, his and, shoulder and, and, and not only that, yes, he, it is so yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that was wild. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so gangster. Yeah. I know it's so good. He's so hairy. <laughs> yeah, that that bit where he grabs that, you know, he again he he brushes his shoulder <laughs> because the, the the hunter's son can't fuck with him, and he's yeah. trying to he show tries, him he that. Tries and to then like, he, he breaks a chair over him, and yeah, the werewolf just yes. brushes off his shoulder. Very braggadocious yeah. werewolf. Yeah, and he grabs him on the head, and I thought he was going to, like, crush his head in, but then you get a shot uh, <laughs> through the, the POV of the back of this character's head yeah. as he literally pulls him in half from head to spine, entire body, and it is just, like, filthy, like, straight-up torn uh, down the middle. What's the thing they and filled it also, with, like, 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 the, like, the muscles and stuff? You can see them yeah, stretch it, out, it, and it, some don't actually rip entirely in half. It's a very effective ripping in half. Looks, and it's like they clearly spent the money on this and not, yeah. you know, the other parts. It, yeah, it, I mean, sure. it, it looks so cool. It looks great. Well, yeah, and, and, and then Dana Ashbrook starts getting his, like, transformation sequence before mm-hmm. the old-timey hunter puts a silver bullet into his gut. And, you know, all the all the POV shots of, like, the, the, the werewolf done in those wide-angle lens shots where it's, like, <laughs> they're trying to, like, beat it, beat the werewolf with shit straight into the lens, but it's just, like, chasing them down and everything like that. Like, it's a very well, you know, sort of, again, aesthetic imitation of a kind of old-school 60s kind of werewolf movie, but again, then done with shocking 80s gore qualities, which is, you know, which you don't entirely expect because of just, you know, how decent the actual aesthetic imitation is. And this happens over and kind of over again um, in throughout the various sequences. Like, the one girl, China, I do like her. The one character thing they set up with her is that uh, Mark is, despite being a rich kid, he's not particularly sophisticated. You know, he's no. not uh, he's not romantic. He doesn't he's speak not, French, man. Yeah, he doesn't speak what a French. Loser. Uh, he's not good with languages is how he words that. I think he says at one point. <laughs> um, and uh, so she finds herself in what I think she thinks is meant to be like a Phantom of the Opera type sort of scenario and you know there's the this very handsome man and he's in the candlelight and you know when 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 she walks into it she gets on this really beautiful dress and she's all of a sudden in this gothic romance castle this is the one that i wanted to be in (laughs) yes uh and uh (laughs) the dude basically just looks like the the handsome version of beast from the end of beauty and the beast (laughs) Uh, like it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, like again, almost cartoonishly kind of like handsome man. And he's got the vest and the ponytail and the chalices <laughs> and the wine and the, the, the room is echoing and the table is so long. And then they start serving her raw, salty meat with some, with some nice with little blood sauce, sauce on yeah. top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, oh, it's so thick looking and like it, the man, meat looks it, yeah. so wet and gross. And it's, when she like moves it around and it makes that like squishy sound. <laughs> yeah. And she, has, and she takes a bite. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's so, so gross. And I do like the detail though yeah. of kind of like the hypnosis thing that they do because mm-hmm. it's vampires. So they kind of watch her. And then as soon as she takes the first bite, that's when they all start digging in. Um, you know, yeah. small details that he incorporates, but. They're okay. They're pretty good. Yeah. That, and then, yeah. The, 
effect when when she you know eventually sort of stumbles upon what's actually happening and finds mm-hmm. this guy and he's his entire like leg is missing but he's Ooh. still oh, got it's so gross. oh it's so good and it's like it, it, all, like you can just see the bone and there it's just yeah. it's just I love the wet. detail of putting the rat yeah, gnawing like, on it, it in there it <laughs> and it kind of it reminded me of that one shot uh if you've got have seen, I know Josh has uh, seen Hostel. I think it's the second oh, one. Yeah. It's when they're going like to uh, sell a, a body to somebody, and then it goes up to someone, and some guy has that exact kind of setup where it's some person on a table. The whole leg is just raw, and it's just yeah. something about oh. that that's just so gross. It also leads yeah. to that awesome um, uh, wine bottle death, which is great. And and the mm-hmm. I like yeah. that they put it in a purely white tiled room so that whenever there's blood or anything like that, it just, you know, it pops yeah. a little more. Oh, and they everywhere. make her dress yeah, white her and everything too. And as, yeah. as the, It's soaked with blood. Like, cause when she kills them, they just, they just like explode. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite part because like the, the production design is more like, what if this guy was like in the torture dungeon from like the devils? Like it, right. it feels like it's meant to be like this sort of period castle kind of thing. Yeah. And like almost realistic in a way. And then, when she makes the makeshift crucifix out of the uh, the knives and she touches it to the vampire's head and his head literally just fucking explodes <laughs> yeah. like scanner style it and it's chunky. Everywhere. It's on the walls, like guts everywhere from these lady vampires who come in and are being shoved through the champagne bottles and, you know, like just gushing blood and guts like everywhere. Like this stuff was really solid. And I, at a certain point I did wish that this was the movie just, I mean, I have a feeling that they just didn't have the budget to keep going yeah. with this. Cause they it's really like, do there's really cool stuff in this movie. And it's like, you want it. It just, the, the framework is not. Yeah. It's all it within the be. segments. And it's mostly the exciting. I find the action stuff to be the best. I mean, action slash horror. Um, cause there's another good, uh, blood gag with, uh, the mummy where he just straight up steps on a <laughs> yeah. guy's face yeah. and just yeah. crushes and it, just, it. Oh. <laughs> which is so shocking to see when you, again, he's recreating kind of like mummy, but updated with kind of like that eighties Indiana Jones adventure kind of tone to it. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, then just watching that guy step on a dude's head and it just like splatter like a pumpkin or something like it's, <laughs> and then they even go as far as like they start to, uh, kind of connect the certain violent moments together where the mummy gets harpooned and then he starts walking towards one of the guys and grabs him into the harpoon itself <laughs> as well. So there's just, uh, it, it's, it's so weird though. Cause you are watching, um, the mummy, which I've only seen the classic one. So it's, it's much more, um, you know, it's just classical in its nature. Whereas I haven't seen the hammer horror ones. Are, are those more, gory and violence uh i don't i don't think so actually not not that i remember like hammer horror was still pretty classy i mean they sometimes did have blood but it it wasn't it it wasn't wasn't like uh fulci levels you know you know right right right. yeah so that's kind of Um, that's just one thing that's interesting about this is that you're watching these classic monsters and they're doing grotesque 80s blood gags or gore gags uh it 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 does kind of take you back a little bit you're not used to what you're seeing Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, that's the thing that I found again. I don't know entirely on purpose, but I found that's the quality that I did find a little sort of metatextually interesting watching the film was that like Hickox is once again, very clearly just he's going back and visiting all of these films that he grew up loving 
and uh, ex- you know, so it, it has almost at a certain point. I will say this literally becomes like '80s horror geek, like Ready Player One at a <laughs> <Yeah>. certain point, <laughs> yeah. where all of the yeah. monsters are just coming to life and having a great time. And so clearly, he's kind of like fanboying out a little bit by forming this little sort of apocalypse, you know, monster movie where they all get to hang out together. Right. Um, but at, at a certain point, by taking these old school monsters and reliable genre actors, like you know, uh, like someone like. Um, David, uh, David Warner, um, who appears in this, um, and having those things like lure in like young jaded eighties kids who like want to watch horror movies on, on TV. Like they wanted to, they wanted to rent a video, a horror movie. They didn't want to come to this. So having those (laughs) kids be viciously murdered in like entertaining, you know, in the kind of style they probably would have loved to watch. Yeah. But by these like old monsters is uh, at a certain point that did become very interesting to me. And they do make a couple jokes about it where like David Warner is even like, he's just like, wow, is that the real mask from like, you know, the, the, whatever the eighth version of the Phantom of the Opera film. And they were like, (laughs) they turned that into a film. Yeah. Don't film anything. (laughs) He's like, like, yeah. Yeah, so like there there is an element of like commenting on the vulgar state of, you know, where genre cinema is now versus like where it was at a certain point. He's just found a way to, you know, uh kind of have his cake and eat it too at one point, uh, while doing something like that. Again, it's not the smartest thing in the world, but there is something there. Yeah, at one point the uh, owner actually says too that the the displays are as violent as they are because that's what's popular. Like that's that that's exactly. what sells. Yeah. That's what There's lots of little come. details like this. So yeah, he's yeah. you know in ways I will say he's definitely doing these things on purpose. It's just yeah, in other it, it, sometimes it's for me it's like that that tonal balance. He doesn't quite nail it like Ginger Snaps does, and there's times where I'm very much questioning whether that joke was intended to be a joke or not, or something along those lines. But I well all for the for me for me it's good. Yeah, for me it's when he gives way to the standard kind of like you know. Uh, the, 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 the kind of sagging middle portion yeah. where it's just Mark it and gets, Sarah yeah, who leave early after, mm. after China has been swallowed up by the vampire section and Tony's been swallowed up by the werewolf section. They just, for whatever reason, I, I think in the writing, he just, he had, he's like, okay, well now I have to figure something out. Yeah, I need to like to know what B. to do. Yeah, Yeah, I need to explain myself a little bit. So he has them just leave early and start investigating and like getting a cop involved and spend a lot of time, you know, uh, going to the books and researching and having a character give expository information to them about like what's happening, about how his great grandfather had all of these artifacts and he was murdered and someone stole them. And uh, it does lead to a couple good jokes, like when all of the monsters do suck the souls out and come to life and the uh, the armed response to that is a bunch of stuffy old British dudes <laughs> yeah. just like walking in and being like, we're we'll take these guys down, you know, like that stuff has, you know, a little bit of comedic yeah, uh, aspect butler. to it. But I just found this stuff generic in a way that 80s comedy yeah. kind of is and a bit amateurish. You, see, um, like you can kind of tell that this is not what he's interested in. And so it's just sort of very like at-fast. it is dull. Yeah. He, 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 yeah. yeah, he feels like he's going from point A to point B, exactly. which does, yeah. you know, he just wants does to drag. get to the chaos where everything becomes animated and they're all attacking each other because that that part right. is fun. Um, like I, I did like that shot of the fucking the Rosemary's baby being kicked and then shotgunned. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. yeah, Rosemary's baby getting shotgunned in, in the, the face, face. Like and exploding. Wild. That's just is so wonderful. stupid and fun and awesome. Um, <laughs> the the uh, 
Uh, there was one. Oh, and the one thing in this in that whole setup sequence, which I agree, I, I don't really like. I do like that they were able to sneak in uh, one moment of the cop uh, coming up with some elaborate way to threaten his testicles, just because you have to have that if you're going to incorporate like an 80s or 90s <laughs> cop. But for the most part, he's a pretty boring character and doesn't add too much. I was hoping they'd they'd ham him up to be kind of that like you know tough and rough cop, but it's it's mostly pretty boring. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I I did expect them to like throw in like the like a like a noir character or something sure, like that, yeah. and he's only but, on uh, screen for like ten minutes, really. Like <laughs> that's true. I think yeah, yeah, he gets killed pretty quickly, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's the one who who falls into the mummy sequence. Yeah, he's the mummy guy. And oh, yeah. uh, gets thrown into the uh, sarcophagus or, <laughs> or whatever uh, by the mummy. Um, while the two uh, kids, Mark and Sarah, decide that they they are told by a, a friend of his grandfather's that they need to go and burn the waxwork down before David Warner um, can successfully collect all the souls he needs for each, each exhibit and actually bring these characters back to life so they return there to go and burn it down and find themselves you know once again getting trapped into their own sequences and this was the part where i got a little bit i don't know how you guys felt tonally i got confused <laughs> with the marquee weird, design man. stuff <laughs> I, like, I told you, it gets so weirdly horny and like i don't know and and for for me i just thought it was weird that they didn't really like set this stuff up well, as, as much as i kind of expected because she just at one that's point, that's what I was she, thinking. Yeah, yeah. She becomes yeah, like, yeah. like a like a mind slave to him at one point because yeah. of the torture, and it takes Mark to get her out of it. And I was like, "Where the fuck is this going? This yeah. is just, this it is comes out, left out field. of left field." Yeah, exactly. And it's so funny to me that like these are supposed to be like the most evil you know people ever in existence, and it's like it's not. Hitler, it's like the Marquis de Sade. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and then it turns into like swashbuckling. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, like this. Will, this this stuff is where I I got confused. Playing him is giving it his all. Oh yeah, like, he's yeah. doing a fine job. He really is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of effective in this weird, gross way, but it's just so strange, and it doesn't it's connect so to the rest weird, of the movie. And it, yeah, and it doesn't fit. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. <laughs> yeah, because 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 it feels like you're having fun watching like recreations of you know like Hammer Horror Universal monsters, but like with some '80s gore <laughs> yeah. thrown in there, and then, and then the longest like sequence yeah. is yeah. dedicated and then it's like a full on like S and M sequence, with like. Yeah, which which is strange just because I was thinking that like with China, they set up very briefly with like a line. They are like, you know, she wants a handsome, sophisticated Frenchman. Yeah. So that's how she gets lured into the handsome gothic vampire shit. So, you know, you track that. I did not follow why Sarah was intrigued by uh, Marquis de Sade. She has a line where she mentions like, uh, what what is it that she he said like she, uh, about, like, she goes into the portal? So, well, so it's, sex it's, without it's, fear and pain is was like, like food, food yeah, without food taste. Without, yeah, something like that. But, and but it's only but it's like it's because she's looking at the exhibit of him. She's not, and it's like I we don't know where this fascination came from. And it's like, as, right. but I mean, I guess maybe because she's a virgin. I don't know. She's just. It yeah. just makes but, but, no sense. But then sense. she's fully like, yeah. yeah, like I'm gonna be your little whore, Marquis de Sade, <laughs> yeah. and you and can like whip she, me. And and Marquis is like, this woman has taken <laughs> the craziest beating I've ever given. <laughs> I am so hot right it's now, like, like, like you know, like <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know what 
you know, sexual proclivities this director is up to. But like, I mean, it seems very specific. He channeled like, Pasolini, man. <laughs> well, and 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 just even even just like the lines, like they're so disgusting. Where he's it's like, I've never seen a girl take so much. Yeah. She's a bigger whore than <laughs> than her face betrays. Yeah, it's wild <laughs> and big close-ups and everything, and it's oh my god. Oh yeah. Mark comes in to save her, and he's just like. What yeah, are you just sa- are, are you just doing? mad that her first orgasm was at the end of a whip? <laughs> and she like she begs him. She's like, "Don't don't let him take me. Don't let him take me. I want to yeah. stay." Yeah, it's the strangest yeah, part but, ever. Like uh, I had but no the, idea. The, how the to fact read that it. she becomes so obsessed and wants to stay with him really just does feel like it comes out of nowhere. And they spend so long on this sequence and how much she loves it. And Marquitasad becomes like a secondary villain to David yeah. Warner when he comes <laughs> alive. And as Jamie mentioned, like Mark literally has to swashbuckle him. him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's it's so much and it's so strange. That's why I think it ends up being entertaining because like you it's it's what we all said that's just all nonsense that's complete and total nonsense and then you end it with swashbuckling i'm like all right you're just you're just trying to throw everything at the wall and seeing what sticks and and sometimes i can respect that Uh, Mm um it it doesn't work entirely but it's it's just just it's just very funny how much time is spent on that versus the other fantasy sequences like mark is in uh, night of the living (laughs) dead for like 15 seconds and you know and, and the, they do the full black and white close-up gore and everything and they recreate the dutch angle like it's very stylized well and everyone um, else's feels like it doesn't affect them other than they're just in this new exhibit whereas hers gets kind of like personal as if she's going yeah. through this s- sexual <laughs> revolution like inside herself yeah. or something it's so yeah <laughs> it's so strange and it's so disconnected from everything else but it is wild yeah it's uh yeah it i mean i yeah i don't know where it comes from it's not <laughs> necessary um no, it's but not. i mean but it's you know it's a lot it of is fun. weird though <laughs> yeah it is weird so yeah <laughs> yeah i'll give uh I'll, I'll i'll give them credit i definitely was like what am i <laughs> what looking am I at <laughs> when that happened i will say the thing that i found a, a tiny bit disappointing but in a way that I don't entirely blame them for because I just imagine it just wasn't possible was again, it's, it's weird and it's crazy and the ambition is all there for this. Like when they finally do get all the souls, they get the cop, they get this other guy and they eventually do all come to life in the museum. And all of a sudden, all of these monsters are alive together. You have Jack the Ripper, you've got Little Shop of Horrors, you've got some aliens, you've got Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) Yeah, you've got Frankenstein, you know, all the characters that we've mentioned, like the Phantom of the Opera and the Mummy and Invisible Man, everyone is there. Again, Ready Player One style, they just start trying to murder uh, everyone and (laughs) all of these old stuffy British dudes show up because they are there to... They are friends of the grandfather there to resist this apocalyptic scenario that David Warner has, has started. And they show up with cutlers and spears and guns. And the main guy is even like a wheelchair bound yeah. man and who's like stabbing like, the shit out of Frankenstein. Got like wings <laughs> on his wheelchair like he's ready for battle. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about this is that I respect that this is how big he wanted to go. Yeah. But he, this is where he did bite off a bit 
too much because this stuff did just look really chintzy and silly. Yeah, like there's no choreography yeah, there's, to it's it. It's like all of the chaos. monsters and yeah. old men are just like rolling around and it doesn't it doesn't feel dangerous like the previous sequences. Like again, it the just, vampire stuff and the werewolf stuff and all the choreography and the gore, like it's very purposeful. It's actually quite effective. This stuff was just like uh, it's pure just silly. nonsense yeah. coverage of it. Like you, the, the, there, are, there are a couple moments moments like rosemary's baby getting shot in the face great moment the the little butler being thrown into the plant saying feed me you know like when he came up with little moments you know that works but the whole broad action set piece of just like putting the camera down and watching a giant crowd of like a cheap halloween costume frankenstein (laughs) versus like 80 year old british man like not punching each other clearly yeah it's it's, it's very poorly choreographed it's it feels like he just put the camera was like all right go for it (laughs) yeah yeah, everyone fight (laughs) it feels like the the moments he set up are to try to break up the kind of just chaos that he made uh the rest of the scenes (laughs) yeah because yeah it it feels like that it feels as if if unless it's a specific idea he had he just kind of said action and people rolled around and just kind of roughed each other up a little bit so it looks like they're (laughs) fighting do do you know what it reminds Um, me of uh i i watched the behind the scenes for those hobbit movies and there's that part in in the second unit footage where they show Andy Circus as a second unit director there directing action scenes for them and, and they, uh, they go up doing. to him yeah. oh, and he's literally like yeah I don't know what I'm filming today but I'm shooting coverage of uh, the dwarves and the orcs slapping each other around and you can see them all on a green screen him just saying action and like all of the dudes just like hitting each other knowing that they were going to be like plugged in digitally as like background fights. So like there's again, there's no specific choreographed drama to the fighting. It's literally just like one guy hitting another guy. Yeah. And reacting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And watching the sequence that was that footage was what came to my mind. This was just like, like, it's like background footage. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like you're watching background footage instead of like actually directed kind of, you know, um, action or horror sequence which is just strange because all the other stuff previously so did specific. actually again yeah yeah it's the strongest stuff if it, it felt conceived it felt like he was referencing and doing new versions of these kinds of films and again they have beats them we talked about the vampires being shoved through wine bottles we talked about the werewolf ripping a dude in half like it's stuff that's very memorable and the stuff was just washed it was very monotonous yeah. it just really washed yeah. um over me and it kind of sucked because Again, I don't know if it's entirely his fault. Like, again, he just maybe bit off more than what he could afford to shoot on this kind of budget. But at that point, a better filmmaker, I think, would have conceived a a different kind of finale. I recently watched Wes Craven's movie Shocker. And that film has a finale where two characters literally are uh, at a certain point fighting inside of a television while someone is like channel surfing. And that was the version of this that I wondered if he could have done where like they were going from exhibit to exhibit and characters were like changing exhibits and like, you know, like they had already had all those sets. I was like, why isn't he just like, you know, it would be cheaper to be like, what if the plant from Little Shop of Horrors was in the mummy thing and someone was fighting him there and you came up with sequences and, you know, I think I I think a more you know, uh, experienced filmmaker could have came up with more dramatic things to do in yeah, that. Absolutely. But. I mean, you, we, other than the sword fight, which is not very long. Um, yeah. You really don't get a very sort of good climax here. 
No, no, not really. Although you, although you do get David Warner being them asking David Warner straight up, like, why do you want to do the apocalypse? And he's just like, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> and I was like, great motivation. That, that doesn't uh, follow. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. I was bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I did, I did like him just like going into this vat of weird yeah, the, sludge the wax. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, wax, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it was so wax, yeah. It's uh but it, it doesn't it's still not that exciting because they even do that whole he comes back one last time and it doesn't really turn into anything. He's not much. No, it of a does threat. not add anything at all. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, the, the climax is a little silly given th- there's a couple moments that still keeps it alive, but it, it is disappointing compared to all the segments of like the horror sections because those are actually pretty well done. You, you, you do yeah. want that final battle to have a little bit more impact. Yeah, a little more. I, I did like a uh, British wheelchair dude getting in <laughs> on the final yeah. climax there. Um, and, you know, just getting the most like cruel death possible <laughs> where he's like catches on fire uh, and has his head twisted off by a werewolf <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they uh, and then they watch the the waxwork burn down like they're in the end of Suspiria uh, or something like that. And then the credit music is "It's My Party, oh I'll God, Cry it's If I Want so To." Funny, it's just like <laughs> yeah, it's I, playing. <laughs> I did like the little uh, hand gag that they brought back mm-hmm. from the zombies. Oh yes, I thought that was okay, but yeah, it's. I mean, once again, it's just it's okay. Um, yeah. but yeah, the oh. cry, the, the "It's My Party" drop was. It's very yeah, funny. upbeat 60s pop, you <laughs> yeah, know, man. going on like the, the music choices in this. So strange. Very but again, strange. you know, they, they contribute to the uh, the kind of bizarre. Yeah, tone. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just all over the place. It's just I mean, it's it's not boring, though. And that's, you know, no, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll say that's why I ended say. up enjoying yeah. myself still. Because it as as yeah, all I, over the I, place I, I as it is, it's still it's still a good time because he's just trying to throw so many ridiculous ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks, and that that can be fun. I think this actually had a bigger budget than Ginger Snaps. Um, <laughs> no way! I, I mean, did I, it actually? Maybe not, but it has. that would be. Oh my god! It actually had a pretty similar budget. Actually, million. if you account for inflation, it probably did have the same budget. Okay, so like similar, but I yeah. just think it's so interesting to see like what you can do on a low budget and like how much better of a movie Ginger Snaps. Is. <laughs> like even though this is like yeah. a fun movie that I love and I love forcing people to watch it, um, it like just the work and like the effects that went into Ginger and just and just the writing is just so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and yeah, you can you can just tell like this is what separates, you know, like what what it is that a writer and a director mm-hmm. does in a film. Like, you know, they actually conceive character. They actually mo- have motivated camera movement that gets you into their headspaces. They actually, you know, they they also, figure out what their limitations are ahead of time and plan <laughs> for them and make the sequences as effective as possible. Run out of money at the end. Like, it also oh, yeah. takes, uh, I think, a good director to realize when he has to hire somebody to write certain parts mm. of his story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that, that, that was a big thing. In, in a long weekend? <laughs> yeah, three-day <laughs> binger weekend, yeah. <laughs> oh. Dude, he, he was absolutely, like, writing during the day and partying all night and coming back. He's like, I've got it. Yeah, I've I, got I, the I, film. I got this great bit about the work you decide. You're going to love it. The kids are going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, but pivoting towards reductive rating and I think on on waxwork here, this one still gets the, you know, like a, the kind of like a, a solid 
three, I'd say for me. Yeah. Um, cause I, you know, I do think that it is messy and it, some of it is pretty flatly shot, but I, I found its clumsiness kind of charming mm-hmm. after a while and I did find it ambitious and I will give him credit that there is some stuff in here that does have this tongue in cheek satirical kind of element to it at, at certain points, you know, about, you know, d- uh, decades of old school movie monsters that he clearly has affection for preying on, you know, a sort of modern audience of jaded sort of disaffected gore hounds from the eighties and having them, you know, be torn to uh, experience that, you know, from his, his favorite old school monsters. And, you know, so despite the fact that I don't, think at least here in his debut but honestly i didn't really like his hellraiser movie either i don't know (laughs) how skilled of a filmmaker he is but i liked this a lot more than hellraiser because that movie felt kind of dull and lazy to me uh and kind of trimmed the cosmic horror and things that were scary about you know the original hellraiser film whereas this you know despite the fact that i wouldn't say that this is necessarily particularly scary and sometimes it is chintzy and silly um i think that it takes a certain level of confidence to have this idea and to see it you know through to its logical conclusion um and to just straight up have playful you know, full on aesthetic recreations of, you know, hammer horror werewolf movies and gothic vampire castles and Romero cemeteries and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then update it with honestly some really impressive creature work and uh, practical effects. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and gore, uh, like really nasty gore when it actually does indulge it. The, the few moments where he actually clearly does plan and conceive a sequence, yeah. those sequences are good. Um, I just wish that either he had more money so mm. that he could have a climax that actually does the same thing um, or, you know, that he found a way to work around his limitations and, you know, not just kind of. <laughs> Uh, just throw it all um, at the wall and just have a bunch of British men flail around with a bunch of cheap uh, costumes in like a cardboard set for a little while. Um, But that being said, I did really enjoy Rosemary's baby straight up being (laughs) shotgunned in the face. Um, Great moment. And uh, I think at a certain point you just have to respect the commitment to the bit. Um, You know, he reaches beyond his budget, but you know, I don't know how much he wanted this to be more than just goofy echoes of the movies that he clearly loved as a kid. Yeah. That is exploitate British exploitation director father clearly had him watching. And then um, just bring excessive and, yeah. violence to them. <laughs> so in terms of emotion and character, I won't be giving this one any <laughs> points, but uh, this is still very, very fun. And I think it has value. Um uh, in that, even if, you know, I would have liked to have seen him do something as visually crazy as some, uh, Wes Craven would do, or even honestly, just an Italian horror filmmaker. At a certain point, I was like, man, what if this was just like Argento's Inferno? And he just did set piece after set piece and didn't try to string a plot to make it make any sense. And he just did a bunch of like parodies. I think that's what he wanted to do. And I, I wish he would have just done that, just done like an anthology kind of thing. Because um, I think that would have yeah, been a lot of fun. I, I, I think if he had just done an anthology and just done like, you know, five or six little horror stories that were you know kind of like uh what's that uh romero stephen king one jamie um creep show oh, if yeah. he had just done like a creep show yeah <laughs> he probably would have had a lot of fun <laughs> yeah because that's yeah, the thing I mean, all the sections are great it's just all the in-between stuff that i i just so bored by and just want to get mm-hmm. through so i can get to the next mummy section or zombie section or whatever it is so yeah 
Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. Still, still, still low to solid three for me. Enjoyable. Yeah. I'd say two and a half, three. I think there's a lot of fun stuff here. There's a lot of memorable stuff. Um, and again, nostalgia does a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know for the, the parts my friends and I always liked, uh, when she's eating the raw meat and he's like, oh, don't you like it? And she's like, no, 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 I, I, I love steak tartare. Like, ah, <laughs> yes, steak tartare. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, the way he repeats it is, he says it's so weird. But, um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just got a lot of really fun little things in it that, uh, that kind of stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right there. I think it's like a three low three for me kind of thing. Uh, it's just, it's just fun. It's messy. It's chaotic, but it's a good time. And if you're, you know, he's using monsters that almost everyone is familiar with. So seeing them just do a bunch of extreme gore gags is is pretty entertaining. I, I did have a lot of fun with that. And we didn't really mention it, but one of my favorites was the, uh, the George Romero one where he kind of goes back to black and white mm-hmm. momentarily. And yeah. he's got some some good uh, zombie gore gags with like. Well, it's where that hand comes Chopping from the hand at the off. end yeah. and he yeah. starts grabbing yeah. his neck and leg and stuff. So there's some cool moments with that. Um, but yeah, so. The, 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 and doesn't he take the hand and like spike it on the, on the gate? Yeah, like yeah, on, on the, the fence? Yeah, yeah. As like a little, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just pierces it. He's just like, he's like, this hand keeps fucking with me even after I've dismembered it. So I'm just going to spike Stick it right here. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's some, when he's thinking about, the, the sections you can tell he's thinking about them and those are great. It's just when he's throwing shit together that I I'm like, it's, it's very boring. Um, yeah. And so you yeah. can tell he's bored too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And whatever he was drinking the night that, uh, <laughs> he came up with the marquee de Sade section. I need to know whatever that was. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I don't know if I want it or if I should <laughs> stay away yeah. from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because like that, that stuff is just so. Again, it, it it's it's never climaxed with a gore gag. It's just like very oh, dark yeah, and very weird very for like weird. ten yeah. minutes. Uncomfortable, <laughs> very sexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's so out of left field. So very bizarre movie, but very glad that we watched it. So thanks so much, um, Emma, for yeah, for bringing these you. on. I think that thank is going to wrap it up you know, for um, indulging me. <laughs> of course. No, it was great. It's exactly what we want. I'm very honestly, I'm very happy that I've seen this movie and I am going to be showing it to other people. So you have spread the curse oh, werewolf yay, style. It's like the yes. ring. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that is going to wrap it up for this week. That was Ginger Snaps from 2000 and Waxwork 1988. Thanks uh, once again, Emma, for bringing these films and for for chatting with us. Uh, if you've got anything to plug while you're here, this is usually where we have you do that. Oh, uh, yeah. You uh, you guys can buy my books. You can find them online the in Barnes & Noble or, you know, the bad big store online. Um, any of those. Uh, if you like stuff, check them out. But I like, so maybe you'll like it, too. Oh, hell yeah. No, go go to her website uh, and buy the books. Everyone buy the books. Read up. Um, I know we have a lot of movie listeners, but we got we got a book section in our Discord. Some that's of right. our guys are reading, I think. Like, um, we can read. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, but yes, for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time actually doing uh, your patron voted episode, which um, I'm sure most people are familiar with by now, but once every two months the uh, over on the, the Patreon, uh, everyone who is signed up gets to vote on the double feature. They get to nominate the double feature, and then we later vote on it. So we're going to be doing the one you guys just voted for which is a double feature of Miller's Crossing by the Coen brothers. 
and Devil in a Blue Dress, uh, the Carl Franklin film starring Denzel Washington, yes. both 90s films doing uh, period noir, and that was nominated by our patron Nick Ferguson, and that was what you all voted for. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. You guys were always bringing the bangers for us. Oh, yeah. And then uh, in, in two weeks' time, a huge left turn for us, but we're having a very special returning guest who comes on every year. And once again, he has brought us a very challenge. I don't, do, I don't even want to call it challenging, but he always brings us a double feature that no one but him would bring on. <laughs> uh, so we are going to be talking about uh, European art house wintry vibes. We're going right. to be talking about uh, The Cremator, which oh, I believe yeah. is from 1969 and recently got put on the Criterion Collection, so I'm very excited to check that out. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be pairing it with the Bella Tar film, Wreckmeister uh, uh, Harmonies, <laughs> which I've never seen, and I'm very glad that he didn't choose uh, Satan Tango or whatever it is, the like 16-hour like one. Oh, 16. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> I don't even, I might be wrong too. I was just exaggerating. Yeah. Um, but either way, I did not expect we would ever be covering Bellatar, the uh, <laughs> legendary Hungarian art house filmmaker on this show. Have you seen but, it? But uh, I have not seen yeah, it. Yeah, because um, I'm going to be interested in just how this goes with the show and in a good way. I'm very excited. I just, I, I've always thought yeah, that, that was I'm, like I'm, super I'm, dramatic. So. I'm uh yeah I I've I've definitely uh we had to study him a little bit in in school okay. uh so I definitely know that he he's got some you know uh, psychological subjectivity and you know very sort of um bleak and you know so images that sometimes like can elements yeah, images that can border on very stark and and disturbing sometimes. Gotcha, so um, gotcha. I'm very curious, and yeah. uh, I've heard nothing but amazing things about the cremator as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, that's what we're going to be doing in two weeks' time um, over on the main feed. But uh, yeah, that wraps up prepping this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.